Happy Halloween. This is High on Horror, and I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to all the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Today we're celebrating our favorite holiday of the oh, year. Yeah, this is 420 here. <laughs> uh, with a movie that we've been waiting for for a long time, the long-awaited Never Hike Alone 2, which is now available to watch on YouTube. It already has well over a million watches. Director and writer Vincent DeSanti is joining us today, again, so we're going to pick his brain about it. You do not want to miss this. All that and more today on High on Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. All right, if you heard that choo-choo, then you know it's time for Strain Wreck, the segment of our show that we love starting our show off with because we get to smoke and we get to talk about what we're getting wrecked on. John, what's on the menu today? It eases us into the movie discussion. Absolutely. I stopped at the dispensary. It's only a little half gram, boy, but uh, (laughs) I got got us a pre-roll of Golden Strawberry. Oh, sweet. That sounds good. That sounds like something from an Urban Dictionary. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, met, I met a chick at the bar. We went back home and did the golden strawberry. Yeah, that sounds yeah. Uh, golden strawberry says here. Get always from Leafly here. Uh, golden strawberry is a great example of why strain names can be confusion. Confusion. <laughs> I I've talked about the confusion and used the wrong word. Amazing. It's a cross of kosher kush and strawberry banana, but it can also be a cross of golden goat. I want to try that. Golden goat? Damn, it sounds good. And sour strawberry. Both of these strains are hybrids that offer mild THC levels. You'll feel light and carefree. Everything looks just a little brighter with this strain. (laughs) It feels like the first cup of coffee in the morning. A subtle yet noticeable feeling. Did they get somebody that writes these reviews like, like in the review section to make this one for him? It sounds like it. As its name suggests, it has a lot of berry flavor in the smoke. However, you are also going to get subtle notes of earthiness and pepper. I doubt that. I mean, I just, I take some puffs, man. But uh, for, for the super connoisseurs here that can like, or like a, what, a sommelier yeah. of weed. Like, Ooh, I got, I got, the, I got that uh, blackberry on the tip of my tongue. Just a little bit of pepper. Uh, this is a great strain for beginners as it offers a great flavor and a mellow mood. Damn, they call us. We smoke a beginner weed. I bet it still still works, though. Uplifted and hungry. (laughs) Well, we always hungry. Negative, anxious, headache, and dry mouth. Oh, you didn't say it. Dry mouth? (laughs) Uh, It's funny, because somebody on here in the reviews actually talked about this is the first thing they've ever smoked. Mm. Uh, Somebody uh, from August 3rd of last year, it's a two-word review, fucking awesome. Okay. Uh, There was one here, as always, they make it hard to fucking bring this up oh here here it is this one again i read them just as they're written so some of this i'm just confused by what it means okay this is my first time smoking this and it's okay (laughs) you feel up for a few minutes and then just chill like some old school back in the day bud christmas tree emoji (laughs) head and body buzz no cotton mouth well he said mouth (laughs) or starving like my gg number four you be just the letter B. You be starving on that shit. And it's an emoji of a guy drooling a dinner plate and a burger. But this am I, right? And that's how it is. <laughs> okay. 
I gotta give it to you, dude. You do uh, find the best reviews of these weeds. I mean, I scan them through, and I'm trying weeds. to give Listen them that dramatic effect. Listen, I said of these weeds, you do find good reviews of these weeds. No, you do though. Yeah, you you, you tend to find the ones that uh, I'm, they're not the best written, but they're certainly the most entertaining. <laughs> all right, we sparking this yeah, shit. Yeah. All right. Um. So uh, I guess uh, the first thing that we should talk about to our listeners is uh, tomorrow, November first. Wednesday, uh, Terrifier 2 is coming back to theaters for one screening at limited theaters. And, uh, well, it's supposed to be over two days, right? Uh, well, around here, it's only yeah, one Yeah, around here, it's only one. And uh, some places aren't getting any. So if there are some places that get two, that's totally possible. It's supposed to be over two nights, but like you said, the one by us, I think, is just on Wednesday. There's two near us, and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's the same And day. I looked at tickets, and I mean, it's selling pretty good. And, yeah, the first time I saw both of them in theaters, they weren't that set packed so it's pretty funny because i think the reason everybody's going is because um if you go to this special uh, re-screening of terrifier 2 you get a free full-size 24 by 36 terrifier 3 poster and it's and it only looks nice yes and it's only available to those who attend the screening um it's limited to the first 100 people at at the theater which is good for us because our theater doesn't even have 100 seats so um but uh there was a big spoiler. Somebody already released a, a, a teaser picture of the spoil of the uh, poster. Uh, John, you were the first person I showed it to. Why don't you tell the listeners what it is who haven't heard of the uh, of the what, what the what the big reveal is of the it's terrifying a Christmas movie. Yep, it's going to try to for me. Is it going to try to rival Die Hard as my favorite Christmas movie? <laughs> He's wearing in the in the artwork. He is wearing Santa's face around well, yeah. his. Uh, around his neck like it's a mask and yeah. he has like intestines going along the tree instead of lights and shit like that um and uh somebody made a comment said if art the clown doesn't dress up like full santa in this movie i'm going to be greatly disappointed <laughs> and david howard thornton responded and said then you'll be greatly happy <laughs> so we're going to get full on art the clown as fucking in, in a christmas movie dressed as santa how do we how do you feel about that the fact that they're going from two terrifier films on halloween to now tackling Christmas, I'm all about it. Dude. Are we going to do Thanksgiving next year or, or New for, Year's? on four here? Uh, I don't know if the poster was leaked. I think uh, it was. It was shared from some official people, wasn't it? Or, or had it been? <sighs> it wasn't supposed to come out yet. Like Damien Leone even said, well, he was like, "Well, the cat's out of the bag." Like it was supposed to wait till like okay. Wednesday, and whoever it was, it might have been an official person, but they still like we're not supposed to post that shit on X. X is where it made its debut. It was a post on X. Fucking Elon. <laughs> Oh, uh, but uh, yeah, it should it should be interesting to have it uh as a Christmas movie. I'm, you know, you know, we'll see it. So yeah, and I I think that you know you can never get enough Christmas slashers, and I just think that this one, I just really think we're in for something special here because after the alley kill in Terrifier Two, you have Damien Leone yet again saying that he's going to up the gore and the intensity and the brutality. So you're going to how be, right, and it's going to be a Christmas movie. Well, so we we're also said get, that about Teen Sword. How <laughs> we're going to get. A really fucked up, brutal Christmas slasher movie, and I am all about it. God damn, I am all about it. So, I mean, just from the, from what I'm guessing, he's going to follow. It's taking place in the same year, obviously, and I'm thinking Art the Clown is now going after Sienna and Jonathan after Christmas. They've probably just tried to fucking settle down and recover from whatever happened, you know, after, you know, killing Art and Terrifier 2, you know, whatever, where whoever they're living with now, because mom's dead, and, you know, all that shit. They're just probably settling down, getting in the Christmas. Uh, holiday spirit mood whatever and here comes art again ready to fuck up their christmas dude i love this this is some evil shit well art isn't a nice guy <laughs> 
But uh, you remember when Craig Loigren told us that, uh, oh, the taint saw and scene's going to get topped in this one yeah. a couple of times. And we're just like, eh, okay. I'm sure it'll be good. I don't know, but it's going to top it. God damn. Like, and, but yeah. now I'm saying the same shit about the uh the, ble- the bleach and salt it's hard to it's hard to imagine what's going to top that but i'm all about it uh, hopefully i wish him. i could re-experience that scene for the first time dude i know I, I i hope that we get to see like a long drawn out brutal scene like that of art like skinning santa or doing something to oh a santa God. imposter or like, it's like a goodwill santa out there ringing the bell in front of walmart <laughs> or something oh uh salvation army that's what i meant what yeah. i said goodwill i oh, think well, whatever i don't know yeah some kind of it's golden strawberries doing its job i don't remember what i said five seconds ago okay so moving on um (laughs) well five nights at freddy's made its debut at theaters uh and also on peacock and is doing really well um actually haven't recently checked the numbers i don't know if it's number one or not but it's doing really good at the box office jason blum is happy with it anyway uh although it currently has a 26 percent on rotten tomatoes i thoroughly enjoyed it i actually really enjoyed it i watched it late last night Directed by uh, Emma Tammy, starring Josh Hutcherson, Matthew Lillard, Elizabeth Lale, and Piper Rubio. Um, I uh, actually really liked the movie, despite you know seeing people mostly having negative opinions of it. Um, I still think Willy's Wonderland is better, though. Did you watch it? Do you have plans of watching it? I have not watched it. I'm. I might get around to watching. I'm not too familiar with the original stuff. My nephew was kind of into that stuff when he was younger, and playing that like mm-hmm. on the phone and tablet and shit. Um, from the stills, I was like, Willie's Wonderland aesthetically looks better to me, mm, but okay. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not going to judge it on which one's better. Um, it's kind of weird. I see a lot of critical reviews that are terrible. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to hit that. Yeah, uh, of course. But, the, uh, like IGN gave it a four. I usually Jesus. don't. The only time I ever pay attention to IGN reviews are when they're bad because they're usually so like rose-colored glasses about everything yeah, yep. that I'm like, if they gave that a bad rating, it, it's probably bad. They gave it a four. Um, that's pretty bad, right? Isn't that they, yeah, that, like that, out of ten? Yeah, that's that's rough. Uh, and usually, like, I know you don't play it, but like the Madden games suck ass now. They still give them like an uh, eight out of ten every year. Like, yeah, it's just like a, it's kind of. Like, yeah yeah so what i'm saying is like you know they're kind of on the nicer side um but the reviews i've been seeing in horror groups from other people they all a lot of people seem to like it though yeah they did a really good did you see like what freddie and like um chica and like uh, bonnie like what the actual like animatronics look like like they look really fucking good they did a i've really only good seen job. the stills they, look, they did a really good job with how they look but uh i did yeah there's uh is it kid friendly because i know fr- fr- f five nights at freddy's is kind of more like kid horror it's yeah. a little i wouldn't say much for kids but more closer to being adult horror yeah but i know like a lot of kids like eat that shit up well i feel I, honestly i don't i feel like uh if you're a really strict parent you probably wouldn't want him watching this but to me it was like nothing that my kid couldn't take he's <laughs> six but uh there's like maybe one kill that's like a little gory and even that is like kind of shown on like the wall like a shadow you know you kind of you just see somebody kind of getting ripped in half or cut in half um and it's like a shadow so you don't really see much of it um and uh, besides that, there's just some language. Like, there's, you know, the couple F-bombs and oh, adult really? language. I'm yeah, so besides that, um, that's it's totally, like, I, I think it's totally kid-friendly, as long as you don't mind a few uh, curse words here and there. But uh, who doesn't cuss in front of kids? I mean, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes kids cuss. 
All right, uh, yeah, now let's get into horror history. This week in horror history. All right, horror hiss. So uh, let's get on into that bitch. So uh, yesterday on Monday, uh, the 30th, for births, we have Henry Winkler played uh, uncredited for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, in Scream is Principal Hembry. He's uncredited? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's not on the credits. No shit. Uh, He was born 1945. Who doesn't like the Fonz? Uh, Did... Just real quick, I don't. I know, I know, we're not trying to make this too long, but did you? Were, were you a Happy Days fan? I used to watch it when I was younger. It's been a long time, but I, everybody likes Fonzie, man. Yeah, like I said, everybody to, likes the Fonz. I used to stay home from school when I was sick, and then like early morning, mm-hmm. it was like Happy Days and All in the Family, and then it was switch over to Bob Barker. What made him cool? What made the Fonz cool was that he was a cool kid, but he also like didn't take people getting bullied. So it was like he was a really cool character. Uh, 1953, Charles Martin Smith, uh, he appeared in Starman, you know, not really horror, but you know, it's Carpenter, (laughs) so I'll bring it up. Trick or Treat and the uh, TV movie, The Beast. Yeah, he played Mr. Wimbley in uh, Trick or Treat. That is the best metal horror movie ever made, and it takes place on Halloween. You listeners need to make sure you watch it this year. You're running out of time. I was going to say, would you consider Maximum Overdrive a metal horror movie? Oh, of course. Okay, Absolutely. well then, that's number one. Uh, well, in your, in your opinion. Because it's ACDC. Yes, yeah. But. Uh, it's funny. Uh, you, our friend Kenny, you know, ACDC is his favorite band, too. Mm. Uh, I was talking to him about it. I asked him if he's ever seen it, and he goes, no. And then I told him what it's about. He goes, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. And I was like, yeah, the entire soundtrack. I was like, the album, Who Made Who? That's the soundtrack for Maximum Overdrive. It's all ACTC. So he's like, I'll watch that shit. He said, next time, remember this in case I forget, next time he's home, he wants to get fucked up and watch Maximum <laughs> Overdrive. A bunch and watch Maximum Overdrive. Sign I me was up. like, fucking A. I'm there. I'm there. Oh, jeez. Nah, fucking, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 1981, Fiona Duriff, uh, obviously the daughter of Brad Duriff, the voice of Chucky. Uh, she's done Fear Clinic, Curse of Chucky, Chucky, a, a lot of Chucky stuff. Yep. But yeah. uh, uh, yeah, and I, I'm I, sorry, and she did True Blood as well. Yes, yeah, I uh, can't forget that. But um, no, I mean, I love her. She was such a sweetheart, you know, when I met her back in uh, like what two years ago at this point. Yeah, actually, uh, when we were waiting in line to see Brad, remember he paused his line because Fiona just got in yep. and hadn't seen each other in a yeah, while. Yeah, he gave her a hug, gave her a nice fatherly hug before like a stop sign. That was a nice wholesome moment uh films uh the let me see one two three maybe the fourth best sequel in the series halloween 2 halloween 2 1981 yeah man um i uh i think like i said i went back to that being the first best sequel i like (laughs) h1 h2 and h2o was my trilogy uh saturday the 14th 1981 as well this is an awesome movie very silly and fun yeah, uh, funny enough, uh, my friend Dale, who listens uh, to our show, he just messaged me recently about that movie and said he watched it for the first time. Probably because it's on Amazon Prime, yeah, so it's getting out there. That's uh, awesome. Saturday the 14th Strikes Back, terrible. <laughs> I remember my dad told me about Saturday the 14th, and I went to Borders. Okay. Borders. And I saw Borders, Saturday the 14th, and I was like, hell yeah, I bought it, and then realized, learned that it was a sequel, and I don't i don't fucking get it wow it's yeah terrible. I, i've never seen it uh, i mean <laughs> i guess i won't now you don't have to 
And then uh, another sequel, Slumber Party Massacre 2, 1987. God damn, I hate this movie. It's so popular, <laughs> man, but I fucking despise it. Move on. <laughs> One of the most underrated vampire flicks. I know, even though you love the man, you're not a fan of it. John Carpenter's Vampires, 1998. Yeah, I love the man, but not a fan. Dude, I fucking love that movie. Dude, James Woods is so fucking badass in that movie. I fucking love him. I mean, it had its moments. I love the Western element of it, yeah. for sure. Uh, Evil Weed, 2009. Yeah, uh, I've never seen this one, so I think we definitely need to add this to the list. This is a high on horror movie if I've ever seen one. I mean, long play here. <laughs> Maybe a 420 episode. Fuck yeah. Let's, let's, uh, unless we get, we're going to get too high and forget. So let's write that down now. And, uh, moving on to today, Halloween. Who was born on the Devil's Holiday? 1927, Lee Grant, uh, who played the step stepmother of the son of the devil in The Omen 2, uh, and also appeared in Visiting Hours. Okay. Uh, 1936, Michael Landon, most people know from Little House on the Prairie, but he actually started his career in I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Uh, 1945, Brian Doyle Murray, uh, the brother of Bill Murray, uh, he's been in Ghostbusters 2, Bedazzled, which is an underrated comedy. I, I don't know if you could really consider it horror, even though the devil's in it. <laughs> and uh, Casper, a spirited beginning. The devil is hot as hell in Bedazzled, yeah, though. I will say yes. that. I will say that. And I don't, that's actually a pun, but I mean it in both <laughs> yeah, ways. Like, yeah, yeah, I didn't even think of it. But. Yeah, but no, the devil is Elizabeth Hurley, man. Mm. Uh, 1961, writer, director, producer Peter Jackson... Uh, obviously he did Lord of the Rings, but we also have the Frightener, Frightener, I can never, Frighteners. Yeah. Uh, King Kong and, uh, District 9. Yeah, and, uh, you can't forget to mention, uh, Meet the Feebles and Bad Taste, but, uh, I think he actually produced District 9, Neil Blomkamp did, uh, directed yes, yes, District 9, right. but it was actually, it's funny you said that because that has that Nightmare Before Christmas thing where that was what sold District 9 was his fucking name on it, so, like, just like Nightmare Before Christmas, everybody's like, it's a Tim Burton movie, and it's actually not, so it's, it's funny that that came up. You know what would be funny? I, I think I think it would be hilarious to see what he would churn out. Just even write in a script. I'd love to see Peter Jackson's interpretation of Halloween. If they reboot oh my God. can we get Peter I wanna I wanna see Peter I feel like it'll be the closest and rever, reverential to Carpenter. I just I I don't know. I feel like that's the man to make a Halloween movie. I think that would be I don't think sick. the budget is gonna be what he wants it to be. <laughs> It'll have like the first like six hundred million dollar Halloween movie. <laughs> like his budgets they're fucking filming it in new zealand and like beautiful yeah. scenery and <laughs> oh and uh finishing out the burst here in 1963 dermot mulroney uh zodiac and copycat and uh we had some deaths in 1926 master magician harry houdini uh, my dad was real big into houdini i learned like soap i don't remember any of it now but i just remember <laughs> like learning so much useless shit about harry houdini because my dad like thought like he was the fucking man uh 1988 john houseman uh he was in uh the fall ghost story passed away at the age of 86 1993 river phoenix passed away at the age of 23 uh you guys stand by me would, would you consider that horror I would I would say like uh, a thriller for sure, okay. and like a, I, I don't I don't use this term often. I don't know if I've ever used it, but I would consider this one like a dark drama. Even I like that term for this one. But um, I had a story that I wanted to tell that I learned recently. I don't know how how much uh, 
I don't know if this is common knowledge or not, but I am a fan of this movie, and I had never heard this. So when I heard this, I was totally blown away. Um, it was recent that I heard this, just a few months ago. Um, so the the, the 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 movie Stand By Me is based on the book The Body by Stephen King. Yes. And um, the reason for the title, the, the, the script and everything was still titled The Body. But when the movie finally came out, the title was changed to Stand By Me. And there was never really an answer as to like why, what, like what was the change. The thing that happened, like the, the change was uh, in between takes, uh, director Rob Reiner uh, walked, was like walking behind the scenes or doing whatever, walking on set. And Kiefer Sutherland was teaching River Phoenix how to play Stand By Me on guitar. And he stopped and listened to them play. And then he like was like, what are you guys doing? And Kiefer was like, I'm teaching River how to play Stand By Me. And he stood and listened for a second and moved on. And the next thing you know, the movie is titled Stand By Me. Oh, so I the, thought that was really cool. Especially considering that River's dead. Oh, man. Yeah, and then I... And then of course I just lost I just lost my spot here. Oh, there we go. We're back. We're back on track. 1997. Rosalind Cash passed away at the age of 56. Uh, Tales from the Hood, a fucking classic, underrated. I think uh, the Omega Man as well. Mm-hmm. Charlton Heston was in that. Get your hands off me, you damn dirty apes. <laughs> uh, 2004. Don Briscoe, who played the werewolf Chris Jennings on mm-hmm. Dark Shadows. Uh, passed away at the age of 64. I never got into Dark Shadows. My mom uh, loved it. I, yeah. I know you were into my, yeah. my mom was into it too, but I know there's a lot of people that that's important to, so we'll include that. And uh, films, you have The Case of the Black Cat, 1936. Son of Dr. Jekyll, 1951. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, 1952. 1962. I'm sorry, 62, yes. <laughs> hey, my you notes it, were right. I spoke it wrong. So um, my notes were right. But uh, though, undoubtedly one of the greatest movies ever made. This is an absolute masterpiece of a film, man. Uh, Davis and Crawford tore the fucking house down for the ages with these performances, especially Davis. This is one of those movies that if you haven't seen it, like you need to stop whatever the fuck you're doing right now and watch it. And, and don't bitch and moan because it's black and white it's i mean i gotta say one of the top horror films for sure of its decade oh my god yeah what that and um the only other one that sticks out tonight of the living dead to me for sure yeah and, and yeah and i totally mean i'm totally sure, different movies and horrific yeah. in totally different ways uh phantom of the paradise 1974 my boy beef you know <laughs> this is my favorite De Palma film i won't go on about it we talk about this movie kind of a lot actually this movie comes up a lot for some reason i saw it i was like i gotta put it on there for drew <laughs> shock treatment 1981 now uh you're not a rocky horror picture show fan i am this is the sequel have you seen it i have not okay it's totally different it's totally different it takes place in like a hospital and shit so you should check that out no reason to really include this on the list, but Elvira's Haunted Hills 2002. <laughs> um, now, that's a classic. Not nearly as good as Mistress of the Dark, but... Uh, uh, for sure. Anytime you get to see Elvira, it's a good time. <laughs> yeah. Grab a tool and start banging, even though that's not that movie, but... Still. <laughs> that's When I hear Elvira, that's literally the first thing that comes to my mind is that scene. It's not a bad scene to remember. <laughs> I can understand why. Evil Bong 2006. We reviewed it. that. Yep. Vampira, the movie 2006. I've not seen it, but I had to include it. The Haunting of the Haunting of Molly Hartley 2008. This one I really liked, and I feel like it's severely underrated. It just came out at the time when there was all those like a haunting in Connecticut, a haunting in this, and so yeah. I feel like it got totally overlooked. That's the one thing. I think we've talked about it. 
is it feels like cars somebody finds something new it works and then they're like oh that's the formula yeah yeah we're just gonna milk zombies. the shit out of it oh now. man I, zombies went away and then walking dead came back and the first couple seasons were good and now it's like okay i love zombies and now you're making me hate them they literally beat the shit out of the walking dead to the point where it had no fans left and now they're like <laughs> now we're doing three spinoffs in uh hell house 2009 uh, moving on to November 1st for births. We're going all the way back to 1881. Edward Van Sloan, uh, he was Abraham Van Helsing in the original adaptation of Dracula. Mm-hmm. He was in uh, Dracula's Daughter, Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Black Room, a lot, a lot of the good Universal movies. And then uh, 1929, Betsy Palmer, who played obviously Jason's mom. And uh, she also played the title role in Bell Witch, the movie. Nice. And it's funny that she you know she never wanted to play the role. She hates Friday the thirteenth. She shit she on that franchise it. so she much. She will tell she was the first person to tell you she did it for a paycheck. It's so yeah. crazy. I, I needed new cars, what she said. <laughs> okay, well, you still appear it's a shitty movie. Well, guess what? You're in that shitty movie, so most famous role too. It's funny how that worked. Night I mean, but she did have hairy forearms at the end of that movie. <laughs> uh Tony Collette, who co starred in the Sixth Sense. And uh, the remake of Fright Night. And she was robbed of an Academy Award and Oscar for Hereditary. Uh, yeah, that's a good good point. Uh, Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Screen 3, Scary Movie 3, I think, too, yeah, as well, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, 1975, happy birthday to a former guest, Lucky McKee. Uh, all cheerleaders die. Uh, May, uh, the woman. Yeah, and uh, his newest film, uh, Old Man, starring Stephen Lang. That fucking rocks, too. Check it out. And uh, films, we got The Phantom, 1931. Uh, Daughters of Satan, 1972. I don't know. When I hear that, I just picture titties everywhere. I just feel like that's one of those like sleazy, uh, just naked people. And probably dead wrong. You know what? I probably have seen this movie because it sounds so familiar. But I'm just saying, like again, I, I, I I'm, no, I am not familiar enough with it to know if I've seen it. I probably fucking own it and have seen it. But I just hear the the title, Daughter, Daughters of Satan. I just picture like this dude with like a hairy chest. Uh, this is the weed talking, by the way. Uh, dude right. with a hairy chest, the horns. What's funny like, is he doesn't have any notes on this. This is something he just thought of now. <laughs> yeah, so like six just naked, like titties out, you know, full titties 70s out. bush women. Like, I don't know, Daughters of Satan. If that doesn't ha- exist, I'm sure it exists in another movie somewhere. See, and you were talking about that, and again, it's the weed. I just made a connection. Those 70s movies, I mean, there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Exactly that formula you just described. <laughs> So I'm saying, if it's not the devil, what you know what I think they are? They are the softcore porn that we got in the '90s with those kind of like Skinamax shit. That was that version back in the '70s, which actually had to go to the theater to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was sleaze. Yeah, for sure. And uh, moving moving on here, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two: Freddy's Revenge. I still love this movie, man. This is the last time Freddy was actually scary, and I'll always stand by that. The pool scene. You got that? (laughs) Yeah. The People Under Them Stairs, 1994. <laughs> okay, it's The People Under the Stairs. Uh, Bad Moon, 1996. Again, severely underrated movie. I love it. Yeah, this is just now getting kind of a fan base from what I've seen. Uh, one of the best werewolf designs and one of the best werewolf movies around, based on the book Thor by Wayne Smith. Uh, 28 Days Later, 2002. I don't know if I've told this story on here. Uh, if I did, I'm telling it again. 
I think I've told you though about how I went and this guy came in like five minutes late into the movie. Yes. Yeah, he yeah, just yeah. sat he sat up front and just was on a cell phone back in two thousand two just talking. <laughs> and I mean like the guy for for some of you that are younger, before you had assigned seats, you had to get to the movie like forty five minutes early on opening night if you wanted a good seat. Like I I, yeah. I, w- I went to go see Star Wars three and got there two hours early so I could get a good seat. But uh this guy comes in and just walks to the front because it's pretty much sold out. It's opening weekend. And he goes right to the front. He just keeps talking like as loud as I am right now, just on his phone. And some dude from the back just yells, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) This dude just got quiet. Like people started like (laughs) people literally started clapping. when the guy yelled shut the fuck up and you know that like the dude got quiet you know at that point when you're like oh am i the asshole oh the whole theater's clapping it's like (laughs) that scene in scary movie when the girl's like talking during the yeah except he didn't get stabbed nobody stabbed (laughs) yeah nobody got stabbed Uh, and uh dracula the 2009 version (laughs) anything to say about that no (laughs) no november 2 we got one birth 1981 catherine isabel uh, Ginger Snaps, Freddy vs. Jason, <laughs> the classic that's seen no evil too. <laughs> the classic, okay. I see what you did there. And uh, that's all we really got for the second. Moving on to the third births, we have 1921, Charles Bronson. Uh, I mean, everybody knows him from, jeez, uh, I just literally lost the name of the franchise. It's uh, the one, the one that. Oh yeah, the, um, um, fucking. Why, why are you doing this Death Wish? Thank you. Well, yeah, Mostly so why known you doing from the Death me? Wish series, but one of his early films was House of Wax from 1953. Oh yeah. Uh, 1938, we have uh, Gene Rowland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had those erotic horror films. <laughs> That's right. This is a real title: The Rape of the Vampire. He was really into vampires too. The New yeah. Vampire, Requiem mm-hmm. for a Vampire, The Shiver of the Vampires. Uh, the Living Dead Girl, The Grapes of Death, Two Orphan Vampires. He was very much into vampires. Yeah, and if, uh, speaking of, if you want to see like a lot of girls lying with around titties with their out. titties six, out. Six titties out, apparently. You gotta love Gene Rowland, man. How do you think like, he just like, hey, um, I'm casting. Look, you, the main thing you need to be doing is just pulling titties out. <laughs> and they're like, all right, we'll take just that Just put these paycheck. vampire fangs in, put this little cape on, and just walk around with your, with your titties out. 1953, Dennis Miller from Portello of Blood. Oh, oh no. You skipped ahead one. Oh, shit. Oh, goddamn, I did. Don't want to miss that one. Man, this fucking golden strawberry. <laughs> I got golden strawberry. <laughs> 1946. Uh, some of you might have heard of, heard of this makeup artist, Tom Savini. I mean, that's kind of, sort of. Where the fuck do you even start with his career? There's right. so many. If you don't know who he is, I ain't fucking telling you. <laughs> Shame on you. 1987, Gemma Ward starred in The Strangers. And I put this on here for you. We're getting to films. 1954, Gojira, also right. known as Godzilla. The greatest uh, monster movie of all time. 1976, Carrie. Also, 1976, another classic, Bloodsucking Freaks. Yeah, it is a classic. Stepfather 2 from 1989. I don't know why I felt the need to include the sequel. (laughs) Still love it. I still like the sequel, man. Uh, November 4th, uh, we have burst 1959, Ken Kurzinger. Uh, Obviously, he's 
biggest one's got to be playing Jason and Freddy versus Jason. Yep. He did some X-Files, uh, Poltergeist TV show, Supernatural. He does a lot of stunt stuff. Mm-hmm. 1969, all right, all right, all right. Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. That movie's so Dude. bad. It's so bad, but like I remember watching it and liking it as a kid. Yeah, I feel like I would, I feel like I'd rather watch Pinhead in Space, bro. You you, you want to know what's funny? What's is that? that is the only Texas Chainsaw Massacre that Nicole has seen. Oh God! And she likes it. She actually had it on DVD. I will right, well, tell her not to watch the rest of them then, because she'll hate them if she likes that. Uh, one. But he was in the uh, best Christopher Nolan movie. I'm, uh, I'll take arguments that you could argue the Dark Knight outside of Dark Knight uh interstellar <laughs> it's not horror i just want to bring up interstellar love interstellar 1982 travis van winkle he was in the remake of friday the 13th yep it was uh 1982 for deaths we have dominique dunn sister of griffith dunn uh she started poltergeist and i uh, was a part of the supposed poltergeist curse and died at the age of 22 uh, michael Crichton passed away in 2008 at the age of 66 uh some of his novels were adapted to film uh, andromeda strain jurassic park uh congo and uh some more uh films uh they live 1988 i still can't believe you missed that screening with me man i know dude i just you're like up oh, so i'm here and i'm like what the fuck how did i forget about this i thought you were sick and, and nicole was go. like nicole i don't i should just listen to her she's like just go i'm like no it's about to start she's like like you haven't seen this movie a million times you can just go late i'm like no i don't want to go now <laughs> going in 10 minutes late doesn't count <laughs> i can't it's like somehow in the gates that i saw it in theaters uh phantom of the opera from 1989 uh frankenstein from 1994 i did not know this was a movie and i included it on here just to see if i get a reaction out of you i spit on your corpse i piss on your grave yeah i <laughs> from 2001 yeah i remember uh when i remember this one being on ebay back in the day and uh trying to get my hands on it i'm glad i didn't because it's a piece of shit (laughs) oh return to sleepaway camp 2008 okay speaking of pieces of shit (laughs) look i love sleepaway camp i can take two and three despite the angle they went but return to sleepaway camp is a fucking piece of shit (laughs) all right so on that we'll just move on to the whole next day november 5th for births we got robert patrick uh from what 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 josiah saw terminator 2 the faculty dust till dawn 2 x files i don't know if you said that already no i did not but yeah x files as well 1965 famka jansen uh she was in that house on haunted hill remake Mm -hmm. nicole nicole loves that movie it's all right man but i'm like no if i want to watch house on haunted hill i'm gonna just watch vincent price she's like you ain't even watch this whole movie i was like yeah don't have vincent price i don't need to (laughs) nothing in the remake is scarier than the blind maid from the vincent price one uh she was also in the faculty as well oh right and uh also for burst 1971 corin uh, he was in the Stan miniseries and uh, played Ted Bundy and Bundy and American Icon. For uh, films, we got Son of Dracula, 1943, and The Bone Collector, 1999. And uh, that'll wrap up our horror history. Uh, it's Halloween, so we should probably uh, pack something here. So we'll take a little break. We'll come back with some more weed for you. Well, not for you, for us. <laughs> we'll smoke it and let you know what 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 we're smoking. And, I mean, it's a perfect time because we're also getting into Puff Puff Ask. Yo, man. Puff Puff Ask. 
All right, before we get started here, uh, I couldn't find anything on Leafly, but I got something called Cannablitz, and it good. is 21.21% uh, THC. I don't know if it's an indica. I don't know if it's a sativa. The packaging's purple, so I'm thinking indica, but fuck it, we're smoking it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, yeah, we're in Puff Puff Ask now, so that's definitely perfect to start up with. Um, this is a segment of our show where our listeners, you... Uh, write into us on social media at High on Horror 420 and through email at High on Horror 420 at gmail.com or our website at High on Horror.com. I'll start. Dylan D from our hometown, Newcastle, Delaware, asks uh, I know you guys are big fans of Reanimator, and some friends and I were talking about who would be the best person to direct a remake. Who do you guys think would do a good job directing a remake? That movie is so batshit crazy, insane, and beautiful that I don't want it remade. But I'll stick with who I usually go with, Alex Aja, the man behind Crawl, High Tension, and the Hills Have Eyes remake. I feel like he's someone that would not drop the ball on this. Scott Derrickson is another good choice. Yeah, uh, I mean, not to cheat since I just brought him up for horror history and he's fresh on my mind, but Peter Jackson, I think, would be a good one. Oh, for Reanimator, dude? Yeah. yeah. With the gore? Oh, fuck yeah. I got one for you. Hold on here. I'll pay, pass you the bong real okay. quick. Probably should have gave you the lighter with it, but that there would, you that go. That would work. Thank you. But uh, here's one. Guillermo del Toro. Oh. I think he would make an awesome reanimator. His zombies would be fucking off the chain. Dude, right? His serum and shit. You know, oh, man, that'd be cool. Yeah, I think I think that would definitely be a good one. Um, oh, shit. Masked Menace on Instagram. Which Masked Menace, though, you think? Is it Michael? Is it, is it Jason? I mean, I was going to say Freddy, but Freddy's not really mass. He just got pepperoni face. Is he a vigilante? He's a vigilante. If John Carpenter did a score for a Wes Craven movie, which movie do you think he'd have done the best work on? Oh. I also kind of want to just rephrase your question to make it sound the way I want it to sound. <laughs> and which one should he do? I'm going to take it that all these soundtracks already exist. Nightmare's fine. Uh, that's a good one um, I think of one that you don't really think of the music too much for and I think throwing a carpenter theme on there would make it even better is Scream mm. it's not so much of what's his version of the Nightmare on Elm Street theme mine is just like Scream doesn't really have like notable music that's a very good point it just has music kind of contemporary for the time but if you put Carpenter on there to make a soundtrack for Scream I think it makes it even better that's a good point yeah I, I like that um, right, Scream. I never thought about that but Scream really doesn't have a theme um, that music they play sounds like the same shit they play in Peaky Blinders. I swear to God, it is. Yeah, and, and the other shit that they play is that shitty rock radio classic. <laughs> yeah, like let 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 Carpenter work on that and make a soundtrack for it. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I think the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack is perfect. Actually, uh, I listen <clears throat> to it at work all the time. Um, it's great shit. I would actually put Carpenter on the people under the stairs. I think that's a great question, though. But that's kind of like Scream 2 is like, he would just add to it. No notable music, Like, yeah. I mean, I feel like a simple answer is Nightmare on Elm Street. Because, I mean, it's just easy to say, oh, Freddy. But I feel like you don't need to change that soundtrack. So I think the one he would kind of want to work on would be how I look at it. Where can he add the most value? Yeah, that's a very good point. <coughs> no, I like that. Um. But those were two uh, pretty pretty good questions. Yeah, those were really good. Uh, and it was funny because they they both kind of made me rack my brain 
But then when I like finally got to my answer, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, they actually were like kind of like they were like real questions that make you think. It's pretty funny. Um, Too, yeah, and of course we picked the thinking questions, you know. On the, when, on the day, like we're just going extra. Yeah, we're racked right we're now. We're going with 420 in the fall. That's what Halloween's <laughs> going to be. October 420. <laughs> um, all right. Well, if any of you listeners out there uh, have any questions for us, make sure you reach out to us on social media. Again, that's High on Horror 420 uh, on all social media platforms. Or email us at highonhorror420.com. I'm sorry. Email us at highonhorror420 <laughs> at gmail.com. Or visit our website, highonhorror.com. There we go. Now, let's get into our review of Never Hike Alone 2. All right, today's movie is Never Hike Alone 2. It's a Friday the 13th fan film uh, made by today's guest, Vincent DeSanti. It continues the story of Never Hike Alone and Never Hike in the Snow, and also continues the Tommy Jarvis saga. Tom Matthews and Vinny Guastafaro, who we've had on the show previously, are back as Tommy Jarvis and Sheriff Rick Cologne. Andrew Lee Lighty is back as Kyle McLeod as well. Uh, we were both huge fans of the first Never Hike series, and we've been looking forward to the second one since Vincent told us about it last time he was on. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to say, from the start, I love this movie. Any scenes with Tommy and Rick were amazing. Yeah. Uh, they put a smile on my face. <laughs> the yabang scene was great. I literally was watching it, and when it happened, I was I literally out loud It was like, yes! <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know, man. It was just, it was really good. Um, It pays fan service, but without being heavy handed about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's a lot of problem with fan service where it's like, instead of going, Hey, if you're a fan, you kind of, you kind of know, know this instead of being like, I feel like a lot of times you get, Hey, you remember this? Mm -hmm. Well, in case you don't, we're just going to really remind you that this (laughs) happened in another movie or something similar. Um, it has the little things you expect from a Friday the 13th movie as well. Uh, what this did in just slightly over an hour is amazing. It feels like a proper conclusion to the Tommy Jarvis story. Uh, <laughs> a good ending on like Halloween ends. <laughs> I had to go there. Yeah, of course. Uh, I've watched it several times since, uh, Vinny, if by chance you do listen, uh, I've rewatched your scene so many times. <laughs> And I, I, when we get into the interview, I'll talk about my favorite line comes comes out of uh, Rick. But Rick, uh, fuck, Rick was fucking amazing in this. I agree, man. And uh, I'm not trying to verbally fillet him because he's on our show today. But uh, this feels like you could drop this into the series, and as well as like the whole just never hike alone series yeah. as sequels to four, five, and six. Yep. And I'd rather watch this than a lot of the other Friday the Thirteenth movies, if I'm being honest. Um, Anything after seven, take it and put these there. That's how I feel. Uh, maybe even seven. I like seven. Maybe just put seven's seven. Seven's okay. Seven too. after. These, I have a love you know? hate with know. seven. I love seven. Uh, it's probably my least watched actually, which is funny because Jason takes me. In. I, uh, but he looks up, the coolest. Up, up, he looks up the until coolest, Manhattan because I don't even consider Jason X and uh, Jason goes to hell. Jason, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Dead like, Jason, you mean? Yeah, what I'm talking about. I've watched the least. I'm talking about. The original through Manhattan. But seven is the best looking Jason, you gotta admit. It is it is pretty nice. Um I honestly truthfully don't have anything to complain about or 
if I do, it's not anything that like stuck out of my mind enough to comment. Uh, I give it a 9.5 out of 10. I fucking love it. Dude, it's, it's really funny. I've actually, uh, I was trying to contain my, uh, my, uh, giggles from you, uh, saying your review because you said so much of what i said and, really? I, and we this is the only like part we of the, never this is the only right. thing we don't share with each yeah, other i was just gonna say to the listeners out there we share the script so we kind of know what ground we're covering but we literally save our reviews personally until we talk about them so we if we don't like them that's the juicy part the discussion we're both hearing each other's review yes. for the first time we don't want to pre-know each other's opinions and then that takes away the argument or the discussion that we have so or, we always, or just the natural reactions correct so uh this is so this is what i have to say about the movie i can't say you know i don't want to say too much here because so much of my opinion well, even yours we, is in the interview i'm not saying because oh, yeah, of spoilers just okay. because of what we say in our opinions we, we say a lot of our opinions when we talk to vincent but I think that this is an awesome climax and conclusion to the Tommy Jarvis storyline. I love the hospital scene. I love the cutscenes. I uh-huh. love the insert shots like the spider at the beginning. There's not much that I don't love about this movie. Of course, Tom Matthews, Vincent Guastafaro being back, that was fucking awesome. Put a smile on my face. <laughs> I was comforted when I saw them despite the tense scenes. Um, the gore and kills are top-notch. I love this movie, for sure. This movie, this is how you end the story of a character with respect and dignity. You don't toss his ass in a fucking grinder <laughs> like they did our boy Michael, R.I.P. Um, for now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but seriously, awesome movie. Well made, for sure. This is the sequel to the fan film of all fan films. The one that got it right the first time and started the boom, so to speak. And it does not disappoint. Rating, 9.5 out of 10. Holy shit! That's hilarious! <laughs> I don't so, know if yeah. we've, it's like we we basically it's like it's like we copied each other's even though we never read that's it. That's fucking, awesome. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I guess now anything from here here on. I mean, even with the interview, if you listen to that, it's going to be spoilers in there as well. And there's no PPA or not no PPA. Oh my god, the weed's talking. Burn there's no learn. burn and learn because there's just so much interview. It, yes. my god, so much interview. There's so much information in this interview that there is no burn and learn there we go yeah so uh if you don't want anything else to be ruined which i don't think we really ruined anything just stop the episode now and go watch it on youtube it's free yeah but okay so we could get into some more spoiler stuff uh dude fucking rick i i know i know we talk about it in the interview but dude that fucking hospital scene and uh and Vincent brings it up as well, dude. When Tommy's like, you don't know what you're dealing with. He's like, it's the other way around. And he pulls out the second gun and he just starts just shoot. Uh, what's you know it? What suck lead, fuckhead. Yeah, suck dude, <laughs> I started laughing so much. My it, kid was in the kitchen. Abel was in the kitchen when I was watching it. He goes, oh, bad words. <laughs> dude, uh, it's funny you use the word in your review, comfort. Because that's exactly what I thought of now. Like, dude, I don't know what it was. Even though we got a little bit of it before, but just the two of them mm-hmm. at the camp when Rick shows up, dude, I was like, I like, I'm just wild. I'm like, this is so fucking awesome. Just being dicks to each other, yeah. you know, just like it was just you hilarious dick. or something. <laughs> yeah, dude, I cracked up so hard at that. You dick, dude, and the fucking you bang. We get the you bang from yes, Tom we do. this time. Yeah, well, when Vincent literally goes out with a you bang, you know, like dude. fucking awesome, dude. Oh, I want to say real quick. I loved his fucking glasses. I don't know if that was part of his wardrobe or his actual eyeglasses, but those blue frames were fucking nice. I actually have to get glasses 
So I told my wife, Sam, I said, hey, I was like, I think I'm going to get those, see if I can get some dark blue, like, kind of see-through lenses. We'll have lenses. the message, Vinny. Not like, lenses, fucking frames. Jesus, the weed. Anyway. We'll, we'll, we'll have to message Vinny and see, see where he got him. Yeah, right. You go to Simon I, my man? I, I will say the one thing, and maybe, may, maybe I'll ask Vincent about it. I'm so mad. When I was typing up my notes, there was a, a note that I wrote that I wanted to turn into a question. Okay. Was the audio in there, was that re-recorded, or was that pulled from Friday the 13th Part 6? Because there's like, kind of like, you hear the audio. What, you bang? No. Uh, I'm trying to think of it now, but like, when when, when, when Tommy's having his uh, flashbacks. Okay, okay. And you can just hear the like the voices in his oh, head. Oh, you mean like the like the back? Like you don't see the images, but you hear the sounds? Yeah, you hear yes. the sounds, and it's from yeah. like part six, but mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was re-recorded or they were allowed to pull it from... I from, know what you're talking from about six. Now. Dude, I saw it in my notes. I was like, fuck, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask, but I'll probably just ask him before we put this out. But, <laughs> dude, like, I... Like, I, I really... You and I both thoroughly enjoyed Never Hike Alone, mm-hmm. Never Hike in the Snow. But I don't know, man, just like something about just getting Tom and Vinny back in this film for the majority of it. Like, it really just tied even everything like up. put it to a higher level. It really tied everything up. Like, it really was the perfect, like, this is it. You know, like, we got them back together one last time. We're going to end it kind of the way it should have ended, or at least in a way that we think it should have ended and it is a better ending than what we got because tommy never really gets an ending it just abruptly moves on to part yeah, seven i was just about to say so, that so you know yeah. this actually like ties up like instead of having just a loose end this actually ties up a story it would have been a much more um much more better you know follow-up to part six for sure yeah uh, man this fucking weed just makes me forget what i was yeah to you, talk you about. listeners out oh. there if, if you never heard seen never hike alone or this one and you're jason fans don't just think like oh you know somebody made this who's not like a hollywood director or, you know they're not working for paramount or new line like no, seriously like this is like really really fucking well done and uh it's the jason we're all familiar with it's uh it's it's fucking awesome it really isn't any jason fan owes it to themselves to watch it they're like an hour long an hour 12 and and with the script with the script right like you'll see characters last jedi yeah of characters come back that used to be in a series and you're like they feel different oh right that's why you like, said last jedi yeah, yeah yeah luke yeah everybody still talks about that man that's just so josh funny. josh is probably fuming we literally just this. talked about this at work about how much luke skywalker changed like josh josh it's gonna be in the group chat he's gonna be like actually this is why he fucking loves the last jedi yeah our producer josh is not gonna be happy how how drew loves godzilla that's josh with star wars he will defend this movie but uh tooth and nail the tommy jarvis and rick felt like they walked right out of 1986 from part six like nothing feels different they still have the same interactions Mm -hmm. and like let's and rick gets an entire character arc like storyline in this he goes from still being the like uh fuck you jarvis and uh then when he finds out jason's real he completely changes his tone yeah he he, don't get me wrong he's scared as shit at first but then Uh, he steps up to the plate and he makes up for being a dick all these all this time whoever the red dot goes you bang (laughs) but uh and like we got like a story of like 
everybody always complains about of oh how's jason get his power why is he able to keep coming back yeah get an answer to that and it's not something that feels like a compared to halloween again like the thorn oh let's just make up this thorn thing like <laughs> no they just took something that was already there and just kind of built off of yeah that. and it doesn't feel like oh you're forcing this i don't like how this changes like it fits naturally but also whatever the fuck inside mrs Voorhees head nasty as fuck <laughs> yeah right that like <laughs> stringy shit yeah dude i also love the just the walk off the pier as oh, simple yeah. as it is just a bloop just mm-hmm straight drop man. and we get some mrs Voorhees food we even get a new uh, actress playing mrs Voorhees. yeah with jason's mom really cool uh yeah i mean i don't really think we could add uh too much more we mom. love the movie not both 9.5s out of 10 go fucking watch it and if you haven't go watch it. go watch it <laughs> <laughs> all right i guess uh let's get into our interview with uh vincent DeSanti. And uh, today's guest last chatted with us about uh, two years ago. We talked about the Never Hike series back then, and now we have Never Hike Alone 2 available now on YouTube. Vincent DeSanti, thank you again for being high on heart. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. Good to be back. Yeah, man, it's it's always a pleasure to have you. Uh, we love the movies, and I wanted to ask you, uh, I wanted to tell you, rather, that we have to give you props. Never Hike Alone 2 was a love of labor. We know that. We talked to you before about the first one. You know, you didn't get paid. It took years of your life to make. Was there ever a point after the success of the first film where you thought, maybe I bit off more than I can chew with doing another one? Um, Definitely, like, towards, like, the middle of this one, I would say that, I started to feel that because of the types of challenges that we ran into, we ran into like basically everything that could have gone wrong, went wrong from a scheduling standpoint in the way that like originally we wanted to um, schedule the film. So it was all happening at once. And the closer you can keep your rentals together and the longer you can extend your rentals, you save a lot of money that way. Like you can get like almost like a free week's worth of rentals. If you, you know, rent everything out over two weeks versus just doing one week. Um, but when our schedules got shifted around and, you know, we moved to, to the next year, we were still trying to chase that schedule. And then all of a sudden, like the state of emergency took our first week of filming and like cut it right out. And so yeah. we had this like major week of filming that was like our camp week of filming just lingering out there, like not at the point where we had the most money in the budget, where we had sort of the least money in the budget. So it was a very tough thing to be like, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it to the next pay payout or like are these things going to, are we going to get the money and time to get these things done? And it was a real labor of love and just like a lot of stress. I was like, it took a, I mean, this thing must've taken years off my life with the amount of stress I I was going through to kind of get it done. Um, And there's a lot of unknowns along the way, but that's sort of filmmaking. And Mm -hmm. it's just, this is it at a much larger degree because there was a lot more involved, you know, with never hike alone, there wasn't a, you know, there was no one to let down, I guess you could say. Like, there were no high expectations. No one was ever going to expect Never Hike Alone to do what it did, and no one was really counting on that. They were like, if it was watchable for at least 10 minutes, there was probably going to be a victory. <laughs> um, so, But now coming into this, is like people have expectations. I have expectations. I've been wanting to tell this story, and I want to do it justice. And so it was like a real struggle to make sure that we got this film done in a way that served all of those wants and desires to get it done the right way. Um, and you know, in the end, you know, very good team. We were able able to work through it. Um, but yeah, there were definitely moments where I was like, I wonder if we're going to make it. 
I wonder if this is it, if this is the death nail in what we were doing. And tomorrow I got to go tell everyone it's not going to happen. And then, you know, lots of like last minute miracle saves and figuring things out and things coming through and we're able to get it done. But it was a very stressful roller coaster ride to get this film completed. Well, kudos on getting it done. Yeah, film, I'm not a filmmaker myself, but I've, every commentary and book I've read has always said that filmmaking is like problem solving on the go. So, um, you know, and you're doing it at an indie level, so kudos because it was awesome and you did a great job. And also kudos on all the updates that you gave out. That was something that I took note of because most crowdfunded projects will leave like donors in the dark for a while. And you never did that. There were like weekly emails, maybe sometimes a couple of week. You were always up front sending out updates to everyone mm-hmm. and letting them know the status of the film. Oh, yeah, no, it's definitely important that we let people know what's going on. Um, and there was a lot to, you know, talk about. And there's also the the avenue of the, the fact that, like, the campaign's still open. We still have to raise more money. And, you know, our our donors are our biggest voice. I mean, there's over 2,000, 2,500, 2,700 people that um, – that are out there that can be a, a, a like a sounding board for us. So when we remind people the project is still going on and still needs help, it's not so much that people really need to come back, but if they post about it, you know, or maybe we post something new that like, Hey, you know, I, I got a little bit more money. I'd love to get a mask now, or I'd love to upgrade to a VIP or an AP or which some backers did. So it was definitely like staying in contact to let people know that we still needed support. And, you know, the fans showed up cause they wanted to see it happening. And then also showing, you know, fans that there's progress that we they've invested and here's where the progress is being put whether it be the teaser that we shot and released earlier in the year in january or just new artwork or you know new you know photos from behind the scenes or anything like that just to let people know that like their money is being used for the right reasons and it's you know turning into really good you know teaser imagery and i think that you know, that keeps people enticed and invested and keeps them amped. And I think that the response that we saw from the release of Never Hike Alone is that a lot of people were, you know, kept informed and they knew exactly when it was going to happen. And they showed up on that first week and we shot up to over a million views in eight days. And, you know, it's just been, you know, gaining steam and and doing well ever since. Uh, Was there anything you weren't able to shoot or were you able to get everything into the film you wanted? No, we weren't able to shoot everything. We originally had a a stretch goal where we said we're going to do like a house party massacre scene, which sort of got, and we're going to go over this in one of our, 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 the updates that are coming to say, I say, Hey, listen, we said a bunch of things, but let's see what we're actually able to do. Um, you know, the extra money that we raised ended up being the contingency money to get the core project made. But we did add an extra, I want to say 10, 12 pages of scenes and action and things that weren't in the original script that we originally bid out. So those kills that we were all going to kind of slam into that one scene sort of got pushed around. And we sort of did get like a montage kill scene within the hospital. So there was sort of our way to expand that Mm -hmm. scene a little bit. Like we were able to invest in that little moment. Um, but there was one scene that I wanted to do that we'll announce sort of later on, but we, we kind of teased it and then backed off it was like, Hey, we're going to start taking names for the, you know, the new thing we wanted to get it together. But we were so far behind on that main camp scene or the main camp sequences that we had a shot for over a week that by the time we got those shot at the end of June, um, we had two months to get more footage we still needed to shoot the tent scene we still needed to shoot uh like the walking off the dock scene and larry's scene and all these other things so there's certain things that i really needed to happen that could be done for a low budget and at that point 
with splitting the week up, we ended up spending most of the production money on that final week of shooting at the camp. So we were working with very little budget at that point. And I didn't want to put us at risk of doing something to say, hey, we're going to do this scene now. Name four characters. And then those four characters, you know, raised maybe $4,000. But am I going to have enough to do post-production and this scene and give my editor time enough to cut it? And the people that we're talking to about being in the scene, when is their schedule actually going to open up for them to be there? And it was really tough to get communication because there was a lot of things going on. And there was no guarantee that when we announced these names that it was going to raise the type of money that we needed, even though it's a pretty good bet. But at that point, with all of the challenge that we faced along the way, I didn't want to test it. I didn't want to push it anymore. I was like, we got enough. We got plenty. You know, our editorial is already backed up. We're already starting two and a half months behind schedule and editorial. Um, you know, kudos to Mike and the rest of the editorial team for being able to put this entire film together basically in two and a half months. And that's ridiculous. I mean, like we, our original plan was to start cutting in May and walk away from it at the beginning of June and then come back to it at the end of June with a fresh outtake and then recut it and then put it into post-production like in the middle of July. And so it was a real, you know, I mean like post-post like VFX and color and all those things. And so we were really down to the wire. I mean, we exported the film, I want to say on October 11th was when we fin we exported the version that went onto YouTube. Um, in fact, there was another version that got exported on the got exported on the 12th and then got uploaded on the 13th um, and literally finished like maybe 20 minutes before it was time to release because we caught another error that wow. we had to fix and do all those things. So um, we definitely, but we wanted to honor that date. Like we knew that we could have pushed back. Like I could have pushed back till, you know, November, December, and I could have shot that extra scene in September and maybe done those things. But we really wanted to make it a point to get to Friday the 13th and do something on Friday the 13th, knowing that, you know, next year we do have the option to cut all the pieces together into one master cut or to come up with some type of, you know, master Blu-ray set or do something like that, that we can offer fans thinking about doing 4k version, things like that. But if we raise enough during those, those periods, it's not to say that we couldn't take, you know, 20 grand of that and go off and add that scene eventually, which would be sort of like the scene in the middle of the movie where it kind of you show the lake, we pan down from the tree and Jason's walking by and we know he's making his way towards, uh, the, you know, the town that, um, there's a scene that could go there where Jason would basically murder a bunch of people on a campground. We wouldn't do the house party massacre. It was going to become the campground massacre. Um, hmm. and I guess I'll just spoil it. Uh, we were going <laughs> to get the, the crew from dead meat. They were going to play all the, all the, the people. And so we were oh, going to wow. kill the entire dead meat crew and then bring in another special guest to play like another park ranger. And it was going to be like another five kill, like Jason taking out people one by one in a really cool fashion. Um, that would have taken that probably would have added another four or five minutes to the film, which would have been really nice. Um, but at that point, like you just like, you know, if we had tried to do that, that may have derailed us from being able to make the 13th. So at the end of the day, you know, Maybe we get to make that added in next year, but again, we walk away from the experience saying, you know what, we still got the story we wanted out of it. Like the real main beats of what the emotional part of it are there. You know, five extra kills would have been nice, but hey, you know what, we still got double digit kills. This is way more than we've ever done before with the Womp Storm production. And we made what we had count. So that's, you know, that was what was important to me that like, if we were going to do it, we have to do it with quality. And if we were going to do it and it was going to be substandard quality, it's no worth it. And, and also put the film at risk. Like, I don't want to, 
you know, put the film at risk for something that's, if it goes in, it's still not going to be good enough anyway. I was going to say that, um, you know, you can tell that, uh, you know, you did like, I thought the first one was filmed incredibly well. And that was what I think a lot of people noticed from it was that you watch a lot of fan films and especially like on YouTube and stuff. And you're like, what the hell? Like that's a backyard movie. Yours always seem to have like that smooth, polished production feel. And that's why I think it took off. And I noticed that right away with this one, I, I feel like your, your, your camera work got even better. And I can tell that you've been honing your camera work in those years since the first one. Did you find that in the time it took to make the se- the sequel here that uh, you were getting practice with like the insert shots you were doing and stuff like that? I mean, yeah, I think a lot of those lessons were learned when we were making, you know, never hike alone, never hike in the snow. Like you're in editorial, you know what you don't have. Like you're like, oh, you know what I could have really used? And then like that becomes a thing that in the next film, you're like, you know what I need? Actually, I'm going to get this now because I bit me in the ass last time to do that. (laughs) And it is a culmination of that. And I've also had the, you know, the opportunity to work on you know, projects like Jason rising and pathosis. And, um, you know, we did uh, Dylan's new nightmare and a bunch of Halloween fan films and all these different things. And every time I've gone on to set, it's been an opportunity to try a new formula, try new things, set new things up, um, you know, and just start to play with angles and kind of do those things. So I've definitely had a lot of practice to like really kind of figure things out and then be on professional sets, see some of the shots that they're setting up on set and how they're executed and some of the shot sequences that we do and, you know, like for a lot of the dialogue stuff that we started doing, it was basically from researching how they do dialogue coverage for a lot of TV shows and understanding like, these are the main angles you want to get. These are going to give you the best options. And then with our crew, how can we replicate that type of production, um, that type of production uh, sort of schedule with shooting uh, with, with doing it right. So it, uh, you know, it just ends up being, um, you know, a little formulaic, but in that moment, you're really just looking at it from the standpoint of sizes of lenses. And then the fun part is, is once you get to set, finding what your actual frame is going to be and then saying, okay, if this is our frame, here are our sizes, here are how we're going to go to do it. But I really do like the process of like getting on set, seeing the characters on set, pulling up a camera, seeing what I see in the lens and then saying, okay, based on this environment, this is how we're going to cover it. This is the direction we're going to face. There's how the blocking is going to be. And that's when it all kind of comes together. Up until then, there's like a pretty good idea of how I want to do it. But until you're in the space, you can't really say like, it's got to be like this because you have to be open to interpretation based on the limitations that a set will give you. And the opportunities and, that this will give you as well. And what, and what was the hardest shot for you to pull off? <clears throat> the hardest shot? That's interesting. Um, which one took us the most effort? Um, hmm. That's a good question. I mean, there were a lot of challenging sort of like setups, um, but I don't know anything that was really sort of like, honestly, like getting that, you know, getting Jason at the end of the movie was tough because there were so many moving pieces. We had to have like absolutely still water. Um, you know, it took a while to set that body down there and then to get the rig to blow just the right amount of bubble out of the mask was, um, (laughs) sort of like, it was all kind of like piecing it there. Um, what else was challenging? I mean, just everything that we shot up at the at the camp that's everything, the, them in the attic and doing that first scene, that was really challenging because that was a logistical challenge where that's the original camp from Never Hike Alone that has since had its, um, it's since had its road washed away. So it's a, it's a trickier climb to get up the hill. Um, we literally had to dig out a river. 
uh, so we could actually cross it. And I actually found out where the, where the river was being blocked by a bunch of debris. We cleared all the debris and we lowered the level of the river by like, I want to say a foot and a half. Like we were literally all standing knee deep and then we finally cleared all this brush and all of a sudden it just dropped to our ankles and we could suddenly drive across this river again. Um, So that allowed us to get like one truck and one Jeep up the hill. We had to fit all of the equipment in there. People were walking up the hill. We were, you know, all set up in the camp and we showed up there in the March of 2023. I mean, there were... You know, people had partied up there. There was graffiti on the walls. There was, you know, all sorts of trash. The set wasn't built. Um, and we were walking up the hill at that point. And we walked through snow in the first in the first time we went up there. And it took all spring and summer to get that camp ready for when we got. And, you know, I guess good thing we didn't shoot till April. I mean, shoot till June because the camp wasn't ready in April. We still had way more work to do up there. Um, so the extra time ended up paying off. And we were able to rebuild out that set, which ended up being pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, that that entire that entire thing was a challenge. Um, and then. The other challenge was a lot of the, like shooting up at the hospital, we had to deal with like a, um, an actual working ambulance station, uh, that, you know, we had to get out of the way when the ambulance pulled up. So we'd have like an entire setup ready to go. We'd be ready to do a setup and they'd be like, Hey, an ambulance is on the way. So we'd have to move our ambulance, pull down all our lights, you know, send them in. They would do it. They would like one time they took like an hour and a half. And we just had to sit there and sort of like be like, oh, okay, like we only have three shots left and we could finish up. Like, can we just sneak in and get these shots, please? And eventually, you know, you know, the night went longer than we wanted it to. But those were the types of things that were there. Everything else, um, you know, there were challenging shots for sure. But I want to say that like everything was built in the sense of that we knew we had to move. And we knew that we couldn't do any big, big setups. Like I, I had to very hand pick my jib shots. I had to hand pick some of the bigger moves that we had to do, but everything else had to be really sort of like Evan as the human tripod handheld, but putting him in the right position that even though we were handheld, it still was in the right sort of order of operation that still felt that it had the scope and the scale that it needed. Um, even the drone shots too, like they were all designed out to be a very specific way. It was a very, like after doing the first never hike alone, it was very much a, like, let's just go shoot a bunch of stuff and just pick the best stuff. This time it was like, no, the first shot is this. The second shot is this. The third shot is this. I know exactly where to get that angle. Like, you know, where he drives under the bridge. I was like, we're driving over there, you know, the curve. Like I knew I wanted to go to the curve exactly where we did the first part. I had that stuff all figured out. So that stuff was like very meticulously handcrafted. And do you have a scene that you're most proud of? I'm, I'm a big fan of the tent scene um, because it really is That's like old school Friday the 13th. Yeah. It's our only real like true blue Friday the 13th scene, I would say, as far as like classic movies. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted a chance to at least do a little bit of classic Friday because the rest of it's mostly a battle film. Um so that was a lot of fun. Two good friends of mine, Adam and Kaylee, who came out and played Gino and Jamie. Um, and I just liked Jason's introduction to the movie sort of thing. His first kill is kind of nice. You know, you get to see the bone fragments in the back of, you know, Gino's head and, you know, and then cutting out of that scene into the, I call it the jelly cut is one of my favorite <laughs> moments. It's a nice like moment of like levity and it sort of calls back to like when, um, you know, when the dog runs up to Jason and then it cuts to the hot dog on the grill, like just very much calling yeah. back to some of those old Friday the 13th cuts, which were a lot of fun. So I, I really like that scene. I'm proud of that one. And I'm also proud of, uh, 
like in in the dra- dramatic sense, the scene between um, the scene between Rick and Tommy, I'm really proud of at the beginning of the movie, and the scene between uh, Tommy and Anna when she's outside of the hospital. Uh, I call it the Romeo and Juliet scene. It was just one of those scenes that was like, man, this is just like. I've never seen like a horror movie with blocking and staging like this, where it's <laughs> like, it actually feels kind of natural and nice without being so like stagnant of just everybody standing eye level with each other. Um, uh, it was one of my favorite. And that was the one we had to wait for the, the ambulances a bunch of times. But uh, that's definitely one of the scenes I'm most proud of as well. And uh, you actually take Jason out of crystal Lake for a little bit. It works really, really well, but most time in the mainline series, it's not usually received well. Was there any hesitation on your part to kind of do that? No, I knew that I wanted Jason to take Crystal Lake. Like, I think that's one of the, you got to look at the things that people want to see. And I think Jason wreaking havoc within Crystal Lake is sort of something we've wanted to see. We've also seen him at Wessex County Medical before. Um, Although we're sort of playing like Wessex County Medical as a, kind of as like a care provider, like out here we have South coast health or like something like that, where like they own a bunch of hospitals. It's like, it's kind of like one branch. And that was like the mountain branch. Um, cause it's obviously not the same hospital. That other one was a little bit more, you know, ground level and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, but that like him coming into the hospital setting, major Halloween two vibes, like definitely one yeah. of my favorite movies. So yeah, I mean, I never had any doubts about that. I knew it would work. Um, and I thought it would be cool to see Jason let loose in a hospital in a small hallway with a bunch of people, which would be a lot of fun. And that was one of the sequences I really look forward to shooting the most because I knew that, you know, whether you agree with Jason coming to town or not, like when he gets into that hospital, I think everyone would be like, you know what? I don't mind. <laughs> and uh, you actually did use a familiar Jason trope of the walking into the lake. How, how do you accomplish that shot? Uh, the one where I just power walk off the end of the dock. Yep. Yep. And just keep going. <laughs> one take, man. We only had one take to get that right. And, um, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, I had one other jacket I probably got to thrown on, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was me and Ben Meredith, the second unit DP. We went down there. Our light broke right away. And so we had to shoot it all natural light and we were like right at twilight, right at dusk. His camera does some pretty good low light stuff. We opened up like, you know, opened up the iris as far as we could to just let in as much light and then shot it at just the right time where we were able to get it at a time where the moon was in the air and there was enough light in the sky, but we could color it in a way that wouldn't feel like you're shooting day for night. Like it wasn't like a bright sunlight day that all of a sudden looks blue and never looks right. Like we were actually able to kind of do the right things, but it was, again, that was a very meticulously thought out scene where I had gone to that dock. It was in Flagstaff, Arizona actually. Um, and sort of walked around that area and said, okay, I need, I need to figure this out in like three shots. How do I do this? Okay. Walk by the sign, establish that you're at a dock, walks down the thing. And then I was really inspired by um, Matt Reeves' The Batman, where he just has all these shots where, like, the camera just travels behind Batman, like, just shoulder. It's just like a shoulder, like, a medium close-up, but from behind. And it's just following from behind him, just his imposing shoulders sort of traveling through the frame. And we see everyone's reaction of what they see when they see his face, but we don't see his face yet, which I think is a pretty cool moment. I just thought it was a good angle. So I tried to use that with Jason in a few different areas um where i thought it would be really interesting um you know and and the the lake being one of them and so walking off into the dock and i think that was just always such a cool idea of like oh crap i know they're going back to the camp i sort of know what they're up to like 
the whole thing is that like Jason knows that if like the, the location of his mother's head is like out, that that's a bad thing. Um, and that if, you know, they're, they've escaped, he needs to get back home because he needs to get back into a protective mode. So for him to walk all the way back would take too long. And the fact that there's a dock right down by the, by the hospital that he would just walk down, drop into the lake and travel across the lake and sort of meet them there at the same time, which I, I don't know. It's like, this is Jason's element. He can work well in the water. If ghost Jason was ever in that Friday, the 13th video game, he'd have a high water <laughs> ranking and he would move pretty fast <laughs> underwater. Um, and you know, he's pretty nifty under there. He's got a few water kills over the series. So I think it was, I think it was pretty, uh, on point. And then obviously that leads into the opposite end of that scene, which is him walking out of the water, which was a lot of fun to shoot. I would say that's another one of my favorite scenes where we sort of had, one night in the schedule where we didn't have to do a ton of stuff. And that was just one of the few things that we had to do. Like we shot the end of the movie during the day. And then I said, Hey, instead of shooting everything tomorrow night, why don't we stay late for the day? And then we'll shoot in the afternoon. And then with our second six hours after lunch, we'll just shoot the shit out of him walking out of the water because it's such an important scene for like visually for fans that if we can really just not rush through it and come up with different angles and ideas, like let's see what we can get. Let's shoot this thing in high frame rate, which means we need an extra light and things like that. So that was definitely like a big one, but I don't know. It was all in just sort of like connecting how Jason works, what his tools are, what his powers are, and just putting those on display is in any way that we could in the film and, and him walking. I, it's funny. I love seeing the comments of people like, I love when he just power walks off the, off the dock. I'm like, that's cool. Cause it's such a small thing. But at the same time, it's like, we've only seen Jason do that a few times. Like we saw him like blast into the water in part six when he goes after Tommy, but there's something about like, I'm going to skip all that stuff. I'm just going to walk right off the end, like Aquaman and just drop right in. <laughs> well, um, the th speaking of you playing Jason and, and, and the water shots, uh, Brian Forrest also played ghost Jason. So I wanted to ask you what dictated who played Jason and when schedule, um, schedule and technicality schedule. Um, okay. And how many shots we had to get done in a night, how technical were the shots, how much of it was stunt work versus my work. So if it was a high volume stunt night, just put Brian in the costume and let him do everything. You know what I mean? Like there's no need to play ego trips where I need to go in and be like, okay, just give me the, hand me the machete and let me do the one thing. Like, the, the so you were hogging all the good shots. It wasn't about that. No, it wasn't. I mean, I did hog a few. I mean, I did get the Rick head crush. I did get to kill. Uh, I mean, and then there were nights like we did Adam and Kaylee scene. And one of the reasons why I liked that night, because that was like a, you know, a 12 person crew, even less maybe. Um, and I got to play Jason and director at the same time. And, you know, that way that I just come out of the come out of the woods and stalk Adam before I kill him and just sort of some of the imposing stuff and the way I move and just establish like being able to establish at the beginning of the movie, Jason's movements, even the scene with Kyle, that's me in the costume where you see me in the GoPro. Um, and then from there it starts to slowly recede. Like that's mostly Brian, if not all of Brian in the ambulance scene. Um, the interior hospital scenes are a little bit of a mix. It's me and J Brian sharing roles. I definitely did take that massive like Renaissance painting angle where I got the, the machete. Cause I just had that vision in my head of how Jason should be standing the entire time. So I was like, let me get in there for this part. I did the kill with all that stuff. Um, I did the walk in, carried the head through the head. Um, Brian did a lot of the fighting. So anytime there's fighting, Brian's usually in there because Jess doesn't really like me to be around like things that are swinging around and, you know, I could potentially get hurt, things like that. But 
you know, so like him coming out of the water, you know, Brian, that's Brian attacking Kyle. But once the machete hits the face, then it becomes me because I had to do all of the emotional sort of like pulling of the head. How does it fit in the hand, the crumbling through the hands, which I practiced with Cody, um, the effects artist who designed that head. And then, you know, once it goes back into more of the effects stuff, then I step back out. Brian goes back in for when a machete is going to be swung at somebody's neck. Um, and then the dummy goes in. So there's like a good system of like how we balance it back and forth. And, you know, that's why, I mean, for this one, that's why I really gave Brian like a 50, 50 credit on it because he's done close to 50% of the work the entire time. Um, and I, it's funny because people will give me pictures of it. I know it's Brian and I'm like, I don't want to ruin the mystique for them, but this is Brian. <laughs> um, you know, and I've never tried to take any credit from him. Like he does a great job as my double and he's, you know, at the end of the day, he is sort of doubling the moves that we come up with. Um, you know, that's Brian getting wire pulled and shot with a shotgun by the ambulance. You know what I mean? And that's him walking along the side of the ambulance. Um, so, you know, kudos to him for taking all the stuff that's like super dangerous. I just try to go in there for like the stuff that's like, it's really, it's the real nuanced stuff and, you know, being able to do like, you know, just the sequence of like, not only crushing Rick's head, but like also the way he's pushed over and turning around. I did the, the walk off the dock. I did the walk out of the water. So anytime it's like very, just like Jason out in the open doing his thing. That's why I love to get in the costume because I love to play Jason just on his own. And then when there's a lot of fighting, that's when Brian's in there because he's the one who knows how to move with stunt actors or an actor when there are weapons flying around. So it is, a, it's very much a tango that we both know how to dance. Uh, we each have our strengths and weaknesses and we play off each other really well with it. And uh, I got to say, it was great seeing uh, Tom and Vinny back as Tommy and Rick, respectively, and just their banter back and forth. Mm -hmm. Was that all writing? Was there any ad libs with them? I mean, they embellish. Um, it's all there on the page. I really give the actors more of like a template to fall, follow through. And then if there's a line that's not working for them to just make sure they get the meaning out with their words. But I want to say that, that, you know, Tom and Vin really just mostly stuck to the script. Um, I can't say, I mean, one time I actually ruined a take by accident because Tom and it, it the lines in the movie, but the, he, I messed up his next line in that, that sequence where he's like, but I, but I fucked it up. And I was just like, yes. I was like, that's exactly how I wanted it. And he saw me just go like, yes, like that out of the corner of his eye. And he got distracted. <laughs> um, but it was just like, you know, there were certain moments where like, yeah, I was threading some old Tom McLaughlin dialogue from part six through, through the thing, because you know, they're the same characters. They have the same, you know, vocabulary, the same vernacular. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that it was part of their, that's part of their character and who they are. And I want to give that back to the fans. That's part of like, you know, there, there's a good way to do fan service and there's a bad way to do fan service. And you've got to just put things in so they feel like it's naturally coming out of their mouths. Um, and so, yeah, they were all, you know, big troopers about doing that. You know, obviously, Vinny, we needed to get a good yabang in there for him. And I think oh, that, of course. Like, the yabang, you know, we, he went out with a yabang, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, it, it's one of those moments where you got to let people shine. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody basically stuck to the words that were on the page, uh, for better and worse. Um, but, you know, it's just, it was their ability to just bring those words to life and act as they were real people. And that's, and that's what made them work. Yeah. And talking about Rick Cologne, the character arc you gave him in this film was great. Uh, it's amazing what you were able to accomplish in just, you know, just, just over an hour. And he, I mean, he's not even in the full hour, but 
uh, every scene Rick, Rick was in just like put a huge smile on my face. And like, that's not even a question. That's just a compliment. Vinny, Vinny's just so great. Yeah. He was so funny. He is. Yeah. And then I remember being a suck lead fuckhead. That's a, that's a great one. (laughs) Okay. So that's an ad lib right there. That's an ad lib because I said, Vin, I just like, we were, we were trying to come up with stuff on trying to stuff would come up on the, like trying to come up with stuff on the fly. And Vinny's just such a master at that stuff. And I was just like, Vin, I just want you to be as vulgar and just demeaning as possible. Just come up with whatever you want to call him. Like, <laughs> you mummy face. And just like all this stuff. And like, we were just dying at the time. Like, we're just trying not to laugh um, the entire time. You just let him go. That way we had something fun to like pepper that scene with that was very Rick-esque. Um, and that it wasn't boring. And then we did some stuff in ADR too, that we kind of threw some stuff in at the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rick just brought, I mean, Vin was very excited about bringing Rick back to the screen. He was not super happy about getting, you know, finally meeting his match. But I feel like, (laughs) like you said, his arc is, is, is nice because he realizes the mistake he makes. And then it's his sacrifice that allows our heroes to make it to the next leg of their journey. And he, you know, he goes out like a champ. And I got to say, like, maybe I think my favorite line in the movie is when <laughs> when Tommy says, you don't know what you're dealing with. And he goes, I think it's the other way around. <laughs> like, I think it was like the greatest like, action movie. <laughs> that, whole, that, that whole scene with, with Rick is just amazing. Just so good. Um, and the way he pulls it out and he just he just nailed it. He knew exactly what I was going for. Um yeah, and I, I know that you know Rick wrote me a nice uh, Rick Vin wrote me a nice email, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, and you know he's just having a lot of fun seeing the response and seeing the people, you know, love Rick, and you know it. I've, I've seen his uh, people have like screenshotted or like done like the 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 watch cast or whatever of his kill, and they put it online and stuff like that, and to see people react to it and get that big of a reaction, I told him that it would be worth it. I mean, like, hey, when. When there's a kill count on this, there's no way you're not like the best one. You know what I mean? So just be happy that like you're you're Jason's final kill. Like you're the last kill Jason ever gets. So you know, be, he almost got Tommy, but uh, you uh, you are the you are the the final. You're the cherry on top, Finn. And uh, Larry Zerner is the mayor. Where uh, how how did Larry Zerner get involved? So I met Larry many many years ago before never hike alone was even popular it was before never it was before i think we had just released our first or second trailer and i had met larry at a screening of friday the 13th part 3d in hollywood in 2000 and early 2017 and you know just got to meet him there then never hike alone came out got a little bit popular i met larry again when i went to go visit tom matthews at mad monster arizona and he and larry had booths by the side of one another so I was sitting by, um, I was sitting by Tom and I was between the two of them and, you know, just striking up conversation, got to hang out for the weekend. Pretty cool meeting. I met Larry again when I went to go see the Friday the 13th video game being made. And or actually, no, that's another time I met Larry it was before Mad Monster. This was before Never Hike Alone was released. I met him when they were doing some mocap and we had talked a little bit about that. And I said, hey, Larry, we had actually met before. I was the guy in costume at the screening. So, oh, yeah, I remember that. And then when I met him at Mad Monster, I was like, I was the guy at the at the mocap thing. Remember me? He's like, oh, I remember that. And then over the years, <laughs> like I've had a few legal things that I've like emailed you know, Larry about, I've obviously seen Larry doing his thing online. Um, we had talked in passing at a few teams. In fact, I saw Larry again at the Friday the 13th, the game, uh, launch party. 
um, which is really cool. So like we have bumped into each other many times over the years and we're aware of who we are. And he always asked me about how things are going with never hike alone. And I had emailed him sometime last year. And I said, Hey, Larry, when we get to this thing done, I want you to play the mayor, uh, mayor. I want it to be a secret. I want you to be the secret cameo for the movie. Um, would you be interested in doing it? He'd be like, yeah, he's like, I'm, I'd totally be down. And it just so happened that he was the last person that we filmed. We filmed that scene almost a week before release. Um, oh, wow. And wow. we had gone so deep in our schedule that we didn't anticipate that SAG was going to strike. And SAG struck. And all of a sudden, we hit Larry up. And he was like, listen, man, like, I need a SAG interim agreement if I'm going to do this because I can't, I can't cross the picket lines. And so we literally hounded SAG for like a month and a half every day emailing them until we got an answer and got our interim agreement and we were one of the the films listed on the deadline report of sag's interim agreement acceptance list um just all just to get larry like we went through hell to get larry but i knew again that that's the thing that you know they watch the movie for a second they think tommy's gonna die and then all of a sudden tracy savage shows up but you know we've met tracy before and never hike alone like yeah well, that's expected of course vin brought tracy back to be the news wait larry zerner so it's a nice it's a nice sort of thing that just catches people off guard in the right way um and it pays homage to the franchise because Larry really has been a champion for fans um, all the way through the lawsuit. And I don't know. He just seemed like if I could think of one mayor Friday the 13th, that seems to be the guy who I would hire. You know what I mean? Like Larry, Larry seems the most sensible person who would take that podium. I think like he's a lawyer. He knows what he's doing with the legal system. He fights for you know people's rights. Like he's a good guy. Um, he's a little bit in the, like we joked about it. He's like, so what am I telling people here? Like, do I know that there was like a Jason Voorhees running around murdering people? I'm like, you're not really letting that information out publicly. Um, you're trying to figure out what happened here. And we kind of jokingly throw that to the side in, in the credits where you see a headline pop up where it's like sheriff's incompetence causes mass murder or something like that. Uh, where we just, we lean into it. We know that that's, that's what happened, but that's the mistakes that they're making. And these are the consequences that are happening. And that's why we have a Friday the 13th franchise. If this was a sheriff station that was on top of it, we wouldn't have these films. <laughs> <clears throat> well, um, I just wanted to ask you, like, now that it's all said and done, man, what does it mean to you as a filmmaker and a Friday the 13th fan to take these characters that you and all of us fans grew up watching and to give them a different ending than they were originally given, a proper send-off, if you will? What does that mean to you, and how does that rank in, like, your favorite things you've done in life? Because I know if that were me, I would be like, this is the greatest fucking thing I've ever done. <laughs> I mean, so far, this is, you know, one of the greatest accomplishments I've ever achieved in my life. This has been a seven-year journey. Uh, this has been a lot of time. I mean, I started this when I was 33. I turned 40 last week. Um, and I've been working on this for a long time against people saying, why are you making fan films? Why aren't you doing original stuff? Like, can't you be doing anything better with your time? I hope you get sued. Um, you have no business doing this, blah, 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 like all this stuff. And like, it's not that it's like the majority of the voices, but they poke through and you're sort of sitting there like, man, what's, what 
who shit in this person's coffee this morning? Like, I'm not hurting you. I'm not <laughs> keeping money out of Victor Miller's pocket or Sean Cunningham's pocket. They're doing very well doing that to themselves by not creating more material. And they're doing it even worse to themselves because they're not hiring me to make material for them right now. Um, these could be Friday the 13th films released in theaters that people would go see. And if I had the budgets that they could get if this was an official film, these films would be even better. And we'd have multiple house party massacres in these movies. Um, but you know, I think that like it, it really is perseverance. I was taught at a very young age, don't quit. Like if you start something, see it through to the end. And obviously like if this was going to cost me my life or, you know, this was just going to take it too far, obviously I would have had to bow out, but you know, it took a, you know, the pandemic didn't stop us from doing this. Severe delays didn't stop us from doing this. You know, big financial hurdles didn't stop us from doing this. I was supported by a very, you know, between my family and my, my crew and the actors and the campaigners and the, you know, the backers and all of those things. Like it was just, it was, I felt compelled that like I owed it to everybody who invested in me to see it through to the end. And I wanted to do that. And I knew that when I got to the the peak of the mountain that would be worth it, that I wouldn't want to climb this high and then turn around right before I got to the, to the, the, the upper echelon. Plus I was explained to people like what other opportunity am I in my life? Am I going to have to actually bring back Tom Matthews and Vinny Guastafaro and put them on screen together and have that connectivity to the franchise and connect it to my fan film and have the opportunity to tell this specific story. Cause this is sort of the elements you need to tell this specific story. I can't come with a dollar store general Tommy, you know, 10 years later, who's like, he kind of looks like Tom <laughs> Matthews, right? It's just not going to be the same. I know we went through three other Tommies, but like Tom basically cemented himself as Tommy and he appeared in the first film. Um, you know, I always wanted to work on a Friday the 13th film. You know, I haven't gotten that opportunity yet, but I got to make my own. It's not official, but in some history books, it will be a footnote and it will just sort of hang on and dangle there. And that's sort of cool. You know, that that's, it's not, you know, winning a Nobel prize. I haven't cured cancer. I haven't done anything that's really going to benefit society that greatly But in my little corner of the world for something that I'm very passionate and, you know, and I love Friday the 13th. And as a fan, who's been just disappointed since 1993, um, I think that, you know, that, that I made it for the kid. I made it for the kid who sat there on the day that, you know, Jason goes to hell came out and I watched Jason get blown up in front of my face and then with it, the entire franchise. And it hasn't been the same since. And it felt like I was putting something back together that was broken. Um, and although it is a fan film and it's not, you know, the upper echelon of, you know, production value. It, it, you know, I know that we did get really, really close. I, I, I know what our limitations are, but at the same time, we did pretty friggin' good for, you know, the budget that we had. And I think overall, every, what people are really resonating with is the fact that this is the type of storyline they would have wanted to see from the studios. This isn't just yeah. like concocted fan yeah. film storyline where it's going off in 50 different directions that don't connect in any way. Like this was like a very poignant, like, Oh no, this all actually ties right back into things that we've been watching for all these years and picks up all these story threads that we've been waiting for them to pick back up and runs with them to the finish line. It, and I mean, that's really what it felt like. It felt like, like somebody else had climbed up to the top of the mountain, only got so far and then turned around and gave up and started climbing a new mountain that no one wanted them to climb. And we just went, okay, we're going to finish this thing. We're going to get it to the top and we're going to create the end of the Paramount you know, era that we really, really wanted. So 
you know, this was a crazy adventure. This, I wasn't supposed to be able to do this. I was only trying to get one movie out and I was just trying to make it look, you know, just some type of proof of the pudding that I could do this. Um, and the fact that, you know, this became my career for the last seven years, this has been the most important priority in my life. I took, I took this, you know, this gig over big jobs. I sat at home and crowdfunded instead of, you know, taking a line producer position at some animation company or, you know, going and working as a production manager or, you know, being a layout supervisor or doing all these things that I could have done that would have made me pretty good money and, you know, put me on, you know, I would have been fine right now, but like, you know, I, I, I did all this and now there's recognition for it. Like there's, there's a reward at that end of the tunnel that now people are watching the movie. It got a million views in about a week. Um, it's, it's sending waves out there to just say that like, you know, people are calling this the, their favorite movie of the year, you know, of everything that's come out, which is a big compliment. And so like, just to be in that conversation, to have people compelled to say those types of things. Yeah. It, it make it fills me with confidence to know that like, yes, I took a big risk. A lot of people would look at this journey that I've been on and go like, no effing way. I'm not giving up all these comforts. I'm not, you know, giving up my life and my apartment and my job to go make some film. That's not going to make me any money. Like I got on the other end of it and said, no, like if anything, I may be at a point right now where I have to build my life back up. I have to go get a new job. I have to go get all these things, but you know what the type of jobs I'm going to be able to get now. Cause I can say, Hey, in the last you know, seven years with Wompstomp Films, we've raised over $800,000, completed 13 different productions of both fan films and original films. All of them have gone on to be film festival award winners, play around the world. We've garnered over, you know, millions of views on the thing and we've built our own production company. Like, yeah, I can come in and I can run your editorial coordinating department pretty easily and feel confident mm -hmm. to know that like, <laughs> not only can I go back into a job focus on the task at hand. I don't have that burning sensation in me. That's like, Hey man, you gotta go out and do something with your life. You gotta go make your mark. It feels like I was able to make a mark. I was able to do the thing that say, Hey, you know what? Maybe a few dozen people will remember this in 20, 30 years and enough people will do it where like if they research Friday the 13th enough, they'll discover us. And I did the thing that I really, really wanted to do. And now everything else that I do from now on is, is going to be out of pure passion and I'll do it on my own schedule. I'm not in a rush. I don't feel compelled that if I don't do it now, it's never going to happen. I now have faith that like, no, time isn't, time isn't, uh, an enemy. Time is my friend. The more time I have to work on something and polish it and really run it through, none of that matters how long it takes when you get to the end of it. And it's a project that people like and that people want to see. And that is out there for people to see. So if it takes two years, if it takes four years, you know, whatever it does, if you've put your heart and soul into it and you've able to find the balance in your life to do other things as well, you know, at the end of the road, no one cares how long it took to make. No one cares what, you know, release date you hit. All it matters is it's good. And that's what's important to me is that right. I'm invested ended up being something that like I didn't spend all this time and then like 10 people watched it. Like that would be devastating. Like <laughs> not yeah. even my own backers watched it. Like what the hell? <laughs> like that would be hard. Um, so to have this to be like, you know what? All of this investment in time has been worth it because the results show me that I'm on the right path. I'm pursuing you know, a career and that's very, very hard, but I'm putting down the groundwork to say that I have the skills to do it. 
And every time I go out and do one of these things, I learn more. I look back at the project I've just made. I say, what a dummy. I would have made it this way. Um, and I'll go and I'll make my next film and I'll say the same thing to, you know, my future self will say the same thing to the, the, the one that's stepping up and I'll just keep getting better and better. I mean, even Scorsese will say the same thing. He's still learning as he's going. And I want to do this till I'm very, very old and hopefully one day I'll be able to do it with kids um, and family and pass this knowledge on. Um, but for now, I'm just really excited that this journey has really shaped me as far as who I am as a director, who I am as a producer, who I am as a filmmaker, and has really granted me, I think, you know, this amazing opportunity that I can't be thankful enough because if it wasn't for Friday the 13th fans believing in this, I would have never had this uh, chance to do this. Yeah, man. And, you know, all the more congratulations to you for pulling it off and, you know, how much, you know, work you put into it. And I think you're, you know, you're kind of discrediting yourself a little bit when you said you hope it's a little bit of like at least a footnote. And the, the series, dude, like John and I told you with the first one, we think that these movies, especially with the second one, dude, these are better than some of the actual fucking movies. Like, I would <laughs> yeah. pick these two movies over several of the original movies. And I think that uh, it being, I go to horror cons three, four times a year, and I actually heard of Never Hike Alone from people at horror cons. I didn't know, I didn't hear about it online. I, I was, I came into the, the first one a little later, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I think you actually kind of showed everybody this is how like fan films aren't a joke. Like if you do it right, this is how you do it. And that kind of started the whole boom after never hike alone. There was all the other movies of Jason. And then there's Michael and there's Fred. Everybody just seemed to say, Hey, I want to make a movie. And that all started or kicked off after the popularity from this one, man. And I think, you know, you did a fucking beautiful job mm -hmm. and you know, like I'm glad that you are so happy and you know, that it means as much to you as it does because you would definitely have some shit to be proud of like with that. And it's gonna, it's gonna last for sure. Like I'm, I would not be surprised if, if when you put two on Blu-ray and all that, if arrow video or screen factory don't end up trying to squeeze that into like the next box set with the actual movies, you know, like that would be really fucking cool. That'd be really nice. I, I really did want to. Yeah. I, I wanted to try and get some of them in there for the last box set. And I, I just missed the deadline. Yeah, I'm, kind of upset because there was somebody who I'm pretty close with, or at the time I was pretty close with who knew that you could submit stuff and that they were looking for stuff. And he didn't tell me he submitted his own material, but he didn't tell me that like we had stuff that we could have submitted and they might've thought about it. Um, and when I submitted it, they were like, Oh, we were thinking about doing fan film stuff, but we didn't end up doing it. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there's definitely like a missed opportunity, but I've talked to Peter Brackey. He said that if he ever does like an addendum to uh, Crystal Lake Memories, that there is going to be an addendum for the dark years, the the year of the fan film. Um, and you reminded me of a funny quote uh, that I told um, Cecil Laird when he was doing Dylan's New Nightmare, because I got to work on that as well. It was like, you know, after Never Hike Alone, it was just like everybody was like, well, if that guy could do it, I could do it. And all of a sudden, everybody was making their own Friday the 13th fan film. Um, but I remember like sitting there and I, I don't know, there was like three fan films that were announced in one week. And I, and I just turned to Cecil and I was like, in a world where everybody's making a Jason Voorhees fan film, make a Friday <laughs> fan film. <laughs> Cause it's the only way you're going to be able to stand out now because now they're all going to start blending together. I mean, like you have a few that like kind of earn their own place within the, within the community because they were there first. I mean, there were, I want to say when we started, it was me. Um, I remember, you know, Cody Falk was out there doing some work and then, um, Tony, 
Tony and his team uh, were were um, working on a film that ended up kind of falling off to the wayside. And then, you know, he had Mythos and Vengeance kind of make its way up. And then I met the Jason Rising guys. And then it was just as soon as it started to just bubble, it was like his name was Jason. And here comes the night. And, you know, Friday the 13th, actually credit to Friday the 13th Legacy, Josh Schultz and that team from Arizona, they released on the same day of Never Hike Alone, not knowing Never Hike Alone was going to come out. So both of them came out on the same day but hey Friday the 13th Legacy has like 45 million views um so they've definitely like you know found an audience obviously and I think with the name definitely we're able to sort of catch people's attention right away um so there's other ones out there I just think that Never Hike Alone was the one that broke another type Mm of uh echelon which was press and media and being able to rise up and be, you know, like we, at first it was Friday the 13th franchise, which other fan films had made it there, but Friday the 13th franchise sort of put us on the map. But the minute we went to bloody disgusting, things started to pick up pace. And then when we did Telluride horror show, that's when it was like birth movies, death and bloody disgusting did it again. And we were in horror hound magazine and we started to really hit trades that never gave fan films the time of day. And I think that that's really what opened up the door for other fan films to now market Mm -hmm themselves so now you could contact bloody disgusting with a friday the 13th fan film because they know that's going to draw attention negative (laughs) positive and negative you're going to get a positive people who just want friday the 13th stuff and then you're going to want people like especially in bloody disgusting to go up there and be like oh the fuck when they're getting sued (laughs) like why are they where's the cease and desist it's like how am i hurting you sir please show me on the doll where i'm hurting you like um and so you get that, but I think that that's, that's really where it was. And I was worried for a while that there would be a fatigue, um, that if you had too much of it, that eventually it would die out. And I was really worried about sort of like, I want to do this big thing, but people are going to be like, you know, I can't donate to my 10th Friday, the 13th <laughs> fan film here, like whatever. But we ended up earning that spot to sort of be like, you know what, if I'm going to donate to one, I'm donating to Womps oh, yeah. Films, that's for sure. And maybe one or two other ones. Um, but we sort of just worked hard to make sure that, that we couldn't make, people couldn't say no to us because we were delivering material that was at a high level, that was interesting and new, but didn't ruin it. You know what I mean? Like you got to play a very fine line there. You can't, you know, you want to do new things. You don't want to do the same old shit, but you can't start making things up like Jason goes to hell because then you start losing people in the audience. And that's when you start venturing into the world of fan film. And, you know, that was definitely a line that we had to play when we were doing the Jason rising project, because that was definitely outside the box of like normal Friday the 13th, but somehow, some way it's just that instinct. I think that's just like, you know what? I know this is pushing it, but it's if you relate it to the fact that, you know, in Friday the 13th, the video game, Jason's mother's head's flying around. <laughs> like there is sort of a lore in this world that we can draw from that's not too crazy that we've seen before. Um, so there is there's lots of things like that. Um, where as long as you're paying respect and I think you come with something interesting and fresh, and the kills are good, and the story's not like you don't want to cross your eyes halfway through and be like, what, <laughs> like what is happening? Um, you're, you're going to have good success. And, and, and the, and the real trick to it is, is like as big or small as you go, just keep it simple. Keep the story very straightforward and simple. Like never hike alone story is very simple. Like when you go back and look at it, everything's a very, like everyone's arcs are very 
well laid out and we don't deviate from them. We don't just cut away to like random stuff and have random side <laughs> missions. It's like everybody's story is feeding into someone else's story and it all plays out in the end. And so, you know, I think when people are writing films, they realize that like they're the king of the castle. You know what I mean? Like there's no one who can tell them no. So they can come up with any idea they want and they're the smartest person in the room because, hey, it's their project. But you have to have that self-reliance and you have to have people around you who aren't going to let you, you know, lemmingly walk off a cliff. You know, I think the worst thing that you can have on set are people who've been like, oh, yeah, that's good. Everybody just gives you a thumbs up. You want people to be like, you know, like there's a better way to do this. Or, you know, I was reading the script and I'm just not seeing what you're trying to do here. And you, you that challenge you. And, you know, at the end of the day, like you, not every idea that you have in your head is the best mm-hmm. idea in the world. And you've got to be able to self filter it out and look at it and be like, am I writing this for the audience or am I writing right. this for me? And even though we want to make films for us, and I know a lot of directors will say, like, don't worry about an audience. Just make a film for you and let it find its audience. It's like, no, I know what my audience wants. I'm here to put this together for them to entertain them, not myself. It's not for an audience of one. It's for an audience of as many eyes as I can get on this thing as possible because I want people to enjoy it. And Jason is not mine. Like, Jason isn't a character that I came up with. I have no carte blanche to change anything about him in any way that's going to upset fans to make it better for me. I have to make changes or I have to add things to his character that fans are going to want to get behind. So it's a challenge. And so that's, that's sort of like the difference here with like being an auteur where you're just like, I'm just doing my artistic vision and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you can do that. But like when no one watches it, it's because it's made for an audience of one. But when you make it for, when you understand who your audience is or who you're making it for, or like just being a good audience member yourself and knowing what are the types of things that when you've gone to films that have made you feel something, you have to be able to take that, learn from it, and then learn how to replicate it and say, okay, these are the formulas in order to tell these types of stories and get these types of emotions out. So people are really connecting with the characters. Um, it's, it's, it's really the, that's the difference between the fan films that stand out and the fan films that like, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's a fun weekend in the, in the woods with your friends. (laughs) And you guys are messing around and you're having fun. Maybe you got a cool, cool, few cool kills, but like, you know, if you're not putting in the time and dedication like us, don't get mad at me when you're not getting the plays that like a never hike alone is getting if you've only taken it so far, but that's the journey. Like my views started very low and I had to work all this time to get up to here and everyone needs to sort of like get on their own track and I guess pave their own path. Yeah, that's uh, and all the more respect to you for keeping it respectable. I'm so like you know I'm not trying to shit on Rob Zombie here, but it's like that was one of the things when he did Michael Myers, it became a Rob Zombie thing, and you didn't do that. Like you just said, you didn't say, "Hey, I'm going to make Jason like my thing." You totally paid respect to the character and characters, and that's what I think people love so much is that that's the Jason mm-hmm. they're everyone's very much familiar with. Um, yep. And uh, I also wanted mm-hmm. to bring up. Um, Something that we we said spoilers in this you know interview, and we're gonna make sure that the episode has a spoiler disclaimer at the beginning. Uh, something that I wanted to say to you was, even watching this, I had a little bit of nostalgia because of the ending with that bubble coming up out of uh, Jason's mask. Because um, I remember having an argument with my friend Mike when I was a kid. I remember I was a Michael Myers fan, and he was a Jason fan. We were arguing over who was gonna win, Michael or Jason, in a fight, and I was like, "Fucking Michael Myers, dude, he's supernatural." Anyway, Mike won the argument because his his argument was Michael Myers gets his head cut off, he's done. 
if Jason gets his head cut off, that motherfucker is likely to pick it up and put it back on. <laughs> and then I saw the bubble and I was like, God damn it. He alluded to that, you know? So uh, I just thought that that was a really, really cool thing. That <laughs> was really cool. He figured out the trick. That, that's nice. Yeah. No, everybody, how would you bring that? So funny. I was like, how would you bring Jason back? How would you bring Jason back? I was like, he would literally walk out of the water with his head in his hands, put it back on his body. The blood would fuse it back into his body and he would be back to work. And the thing I love about the ending of the film is that like, it has a lot of different meanings in it, depending on whose you know, view you're looking at it from, but from Jason's point of view, what I'm saying is Jason hasn't been defeated. Jason has finally accepted rest. Oh, I like that. that his spirit and his soul and his, his anger will rest. And that bubble yeah, he could come back if he wanted to, but that bubble specifically is a sigh of relief. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's That's undone. really cool to know that. And it's sort of him being able to there. And then, you know, with him destroying his mother's head, you know, that is Tommy's. I, I keep telling people, I'm like, you know, Tommy's only half right. Yes. If you go after the head and you destroy it, you're definitely going to put Jason in a vulnerable position where, you know, you will be able to get a strike in. But is it going to completely sever the connection of him in this world and all of these things? Because the whole series is much bigger than, you know, obviously the head is a big part of it, but like it can't all rest in one mm -hmm. Horcrux. And when, when Pamela appears at the end of the film, it is sort of a way of her ensuring Jason that it's okay, that she's not her head. She's much more than just an old crusty head that he's been keeping in a basket behind his bed. Um, that she's a spirit that's always going to be there for him and that she's waiting for him to come home and that she's ready for when he wants to come home. But he has felt the need to sort of protect this thing. So when she shows him that she's going to be there and if he lets go, she'll, he can join her that he sort of lets it all go. And that's when he's ready to just accept his fate because there's no way he doesn't know that, you know, Tommy's behind him with the machete. He's just sort of like George, looking out into the distance, you know, before he gets shot back and shot in the back of the head. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like one of those things where he just, it's like, look at me, mm -hmm. look at me. And then, you know, he's done, he falls into the water and he gets that kind of, um, that kind of rest. And I've also said this on record many times too, that like, it's just not a smart move to try to like really, really seal the coffin on Friday the 13th in any way, shape or form, always leave an open door. So that way, if somebody wants to come on and continue the series that if they put the pieces together, right, they could pick this up because technically this is a nice final chapter to the Jarvis Jason storyline. It gives, you know, Tommy the feeling that he did everything that he needed to do to sort of come up with the mistake that he made of resurrecting Jason in part six. And we learned through this story too, that it wasn't that he just dug Jason up on a whim. It was that Jason haunted him until he did. He was driven to do that. There was something pulling him and whatever that force is, is no longer pulling him. He doesn't feel it anymore. He actually feels free. And I can't tell you how bad Tom begged me to make sure that we could get the reflection of young Stevie in the water when he looked down and saw the reflection in the water instead of seeing himself, but seeing the young version of himself instead of Jason in the water now, like all of those things of just all these people getting their closure, um, Diana getting her son back, which is calling back to uh, Pamela never finding her son and going crazy and killing people. Because if we had more money and we had more time and I had more screen time with Diana, I would have made her sort of semi-crazy and almost kill Rick. 
Like it would have come to the point where she would have almost snapped and killed him because that's where the, the curse was going to push her for this. I had, I had shorter amount of time. So I could only pick one thing. So I picked, um, just the fact that it was just haunting her about her son and driving her to craziness. Um, but you can kind of see her getting there mm. in some of those scenes where it was sort of intended. Um, so there, there's all that stuff, but yeah, with Jason, it was, it was definitely like, I just, it's like Godzilla. You know what I mean? Like at the end of Godzilla, 1984, um, when he's going into the volcano, so sad, man. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, he's the bad guy. He's been killing everything, but it's sad. It's like, you want to feel bad for him mm-hmm. a little bit. You wanted to give that to Jason. And I feel like, we definitely, that was my goal. It was just sort of like hit it right down the middle of like, yes, the bad guy's defeated, but we also feel pretty good for the bad guy because the bad guy is no longer, you know, destined or like called to do anything. But in the future, if he was disturbed in any way, if his body was disturbed, if the lake was disturbed, if the area around the lake, he would sort of become more of a swamp thing where he would protect the forest at that point as a protector of nature uh and kill people and then return to his resting place and go back i think that that would be a fun way to bring him back like in another just non-sequitur uh thing like oh they're gonna finally do that the uh the storyline that we've all talked about for decades which is they're going to try to open up condos on top of crystal lake uh and the construction crew wakes him up which would be pretty funny but until then jason's got a nice uh He's got a nice retirement plan there at the bottom of the lake. Well, um, look, man, you've proven that people will, you know, fund your projects. You've proven to be a hell of a director. What's next for you? Like, are we going to get an original horror film out of you? Do you have any future uh, projects that you could speak on? Yeah, no, we're, we're developing, we're actively developing a few different projects right now. I actually have a meeting with my manager this weekend where we're going to discuss the, the options that are on the table. Um, I've been publicly announced as a, as attached to a project called kindness of strangers, which is about two serial killers that bet that discover each other on the open road and then battle it out to only one left standing. Um, I've been attached to another project that I can't announce yet cause I haven't signed an official deal with it, but it's a very, very cool one. Um, that's, uh, a little bit different. It's more of a cop procedural set in the world of a, like a, sort of a Friday the 13th world, but it's very grounded. So mm-hmm. that one's really cool. Um, we have some original shorts, like there's one called EMF, that I'm going to work with on Tom, work with with Tom on, um, where he plays a paranormal investigator, and it very much has the same um, cinematic style as Never Hike Alone. So it's mixed media. So there's a found footage aspect where he's a solo ghost hunter. He has somebody who works in the van, um, and he's investigating a haunted place. Then the haunt goes awry, and it's very much based on or inspired by television terror from. Uh, Tales from the Crypt, uh, where Morton Darney Jr. goes into the house and he basically does Geraldo's vault where he's walking around with the camera crew Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden like the dead bodies that were all killed in the house start to come alive. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a little bit of that vibe to this, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, There's an animated film called Ghost Chicken um, that we want to get animated. It's about a vegan restaurant that's haunted by the ghost of a chicken and the one girl determined to figure out why. (laughs) Um, And then there is... um, there's also more Friday the 13th projects on the way in the form of animation. So we announced Ghosts in the Fog last year. We still have to do some work to raise more money to get that animated, but we do have the animatic, which is storyboards cut together in an in editorial timeline. Um, it's not quite animated, but you get the idea type thing. That's how we time everything out. So that's completed, but we need to animate it now. So we need a good amount of money. So we're going to run a Kickstarter just for that. 
Um, and then there's other stories that we want to tell. I, you know, Ghost of Crystal Lake, which I said that I would do as a prequel. We're not going to have the time and money to do that with what we have left, not even close. But I am going to write that short story out. I'm going to try and write the Pamela short story with it as well. So people get that story and the complete, complete compendium of what Never Hike Alone is. The the post-Paramount Never Hike Alone era is sort of encapsulative of like how it connects to Paramount uh, in every single way. And then, you know, just emphasizes everything that we've done. But those other projects, those feature projects that I've been talking about, um, those are all, we're going to go for private financing, like the, the right way. And Never Hike Alone has given us the ability to walk into a room and say, hey, with $288,000, I was able to create this production. And this production is an hour and 13 minutes long. It's, you know, a third of the budget of what I would get for, you know, an actual feature if I was starting off at this level. Um, this budget is like a fifth of what it should have been if I paid everybody the right amount and we did do the amount that we were supposed to do. Um, and if you think about it, you know, I did the math, which was over the last six years for just Friday the 13th alone or Never Hike Alone, um, we've raised, I believe, $430,000 and we've created over two and a half hours of material, if not more. Um, so that's pretty good considering the original Friday the 13th is about a buck 15, buck 20, and it was made for $750,000 in, or $790,000 in 1979. So, um, you know, we walk into that, into those meetings saying we can, we can stretch this dollar. You know, we can find the places to make this look really good. And with the tools that we have, we can achieve the high level production value of a much higher budget production with the technology that we have today and then have the story chops to give you something that will keep people, keep people engaged and entertained. That's all of that stuff sounds excellent, man. I can't wait to see this stuff, man. Um, well, can you tell our listeners uh, where can they keep up with you on social media to keep up on your next projects and, uh, you know, check, take a look at your stuff? Yeah, I definitely want to follow us at Womp Stomp Films, W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S. That's on YouTube for sure, because that's where all of our films are, everything from our original stuff to all of our fan films and the stuff that we've helped co-produce. Um, we are on Instagram, Facebook, uh, X, um, <laughs> and also uh, TikTok. Um, yeah, X Twitter. Uh, we do you do a lot of traffic on, on Twitter. Um so we're all there. You know, they can email us at wompstompfilms at gmail.com. And of course, the Indiegogo is going to be open through at least the end of the year, if not a little bit into next year. We're going to keep orders, our pre-orders open for the Never Hike Alone Blu-ray. We have the first edition Blu-ray, which is a traditional blue case with the uh, sort of the camp poster that we've we used to originally uh market the film and then we also have a second edition called the jarvis versus jason edition we just announced recently that we're going to put those in red cases um we're going to make it a dual disc set so you can um potentially we're going to figure out which disc we want to put in there but it may come with the ghost cut and never hike alone 2 in one package there's only going to be 1300 of those packages made it will come with a thank you card signed by myself and tom matthews and hopefully a few other people um and those will be hand numbered so those are going to be limited press only 1300 will be made uh there's already been i think 25 2600 sold of the other blu-ray so either one that you want to do there's vhs tapes uh we just released the battle damage hockey mask on the campaign recently recently um there's little mini ghost jason figures which are really cool um and then just a lot of other cool stuff t-shirts pins posters anything you want uh, if you email me happy to build you a, a secret perk um and you know anything you'd like because there's still time to 
you know, get your material. Cause once the Indiegogo closes <laughs> and the, this campaign closes, like it's not going back to Walmart. It doesn't get restocked. Like you may get some of our overflow along, like down the line, but like you got to get it now or else it's never coming back. Yeah, definitely, John. Me and you definitely need to get that red case. <laughs> yeah, I need I need the red red case. I already have the other Blu Ray pre order though. I, w- I will say this: if you have, if you already have the other case ordered, there is an ability to upgrade. I can't remember if I disabled them or not, but if I have and you can't find them in a past update and those links don't work anymore, hit me up. I'll reactivate them, and you can just upgrade your Blu Ray. So if you want to shift over to from a blue to a red. Um, there is just, it's, it, you know, we'll take less money. You don't have to go and spend a whole new $40 to get it done. Like we want to take care of people so they don't have to overspend to get, get it done. That's awesome. <laughs> well, um, before we uh, say goodbye here, man, this, uh, it's Halloween. This is our Halloween episode. So I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Oh, Probably Reese's yeah. peanut butter cups. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, three for three. Like a good like package of Reese's peanut butter cups is always the and especially like even the single ones are always nice. They're such a great snack. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say yeah, they definitely like in the bite sized version to get a single Reese's peanut butter cup. I think is the most. I think that's the prize of the prize of the bag. I would agree, and I think John yeah. agrees as well. So, yeah. all right, <laughs> all right, unanimous. Well, uh, thank you, Vincent, for coming back on our show, man. And hopefully, somewhere down the line, you know, during one of these other projects, we'd love to chat with you again. Well, hopefully, we'll see you around. Oh yeah, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'll always be here, guys. You, you want to chat horror? Uh, I'm the guy. All right, man. You take care. Take care. You guys have a great one. All right. Thanks to our guest, Vincent DeSanti, for joining us today. Uh, make sure to follow us online at High on Horror 420, everywhere on uh, on the social medias. Uh, next week, we'll have Ghost of the Void. Uh, we got a screener for that. We'll bring you our review. Uh, make sure to follow us, like I said, online already. I don't know why I need to say it again. I already told you to follow us on uh, High on Horror 420. Send us your PPA questions at highonhorror420 at gmail.com. Check out uh, our reviews of short films from uh, the Toronto After Dark Film Festival if you didn't get those on our website at highonhorror.com. And uh, I guess I'll catch you later. It's uh, Halloween. Remember, everybody's entitled to one good scare. See you next week.